There was no news today. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you all next week. I'm just kidding. No, we, we, we actually do have a show. But we were making a joke earlier that back in the day, they used to actually say that because they'd be like, there's not really any news, so let's just take the day off and send out the message to everybody and let them know nothing's happening. But there's always got to be something happening, and uh, we're just chilling on a Friday night. The truth is, yeah, there's a lot of news and stink bugs, I guess. Yeah, so many. But uh, there's, you know, the news story that's coming out is the global food shortage is coming. Because of the fertilizer shortage now due to the conflict with Russia and Ukraine, Russia's not sending out fertilizer, which means fertilizer costs are skyrocketing. And that means the crop yield is going to be like 40% down. It's happening in spring, which means come fall, man, your food's going to get really expensive. Not to mention all the gas and all that stuff. So, you know, scary fear. Ah, the world's ending and all that or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's Friday. So we're going to hang out. We'll talk about that. We've got a couple other stories. We've got uh, Putin had a big rally in Russia. Everyone's talking about there's a glitch or something on TV. Uh, Dr. Fauci, who vanished for some time, hmm. he's got some uh, 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 doom saying for us. You know, apparently there's a new variant and he's come out and he's like, there's a new variant. Put me back on TV. And then they did. So we'll just talk about that. But I think for the most, we're going to be ta- ta- uh, hanging out and just talking about literally whatever. Because um, I got to be honest, it's one of those days where there is very little going on and it's kind of relaxing. You know, because we'll just we'll just make jokes and you know be silly and have a good Friday night. And joining us to be funny is Andrew Heaton. Hello, I'm very funny. That's a right. pleasure to be here, Tim. Thanks for having <laughs> me on a day with no news to discuss. Yeah, oh, oh, it's great. Yeah, so the pressure's on you. You better talk. I I, I was I took a lot of Adderall and read three oh issues gosh. of The Economist before I came on for nothing. <laughs> oh, was there anything interesting in it? Uh, Singapore, <laughs> Singapore's at a crossroads, Tim. That's what I what I figured out. Yeah. Ah, yes, and the politics of Liechtenstein. Uh, yes, let's 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 talk about that. Uh, so who are you? What do you do? Mm. I'm a political satirist and a podcast host. So uh, I'm I'm funny. I'm a contributor at Reason TV, mm-hmm. and I host a You're show. Funny. I'm well. I'm not going to do it tonight because I'm off duty. It's okay. a Friday. Okay. Right. But if it were like a Monday around 11 a.m. to 11:43 a.m., I'm very funny during that <laughs> slot. All right. And I host a show called The Political Orphanage, which is a podcast designed for people that don't feel like they're being catered to by red team versus blue team media. Oh, okay, cool. All right, then. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks. Be, be Good fun. to see you. Okay, I'll, I'll see myself out. Yeah, okay, thanks, thanks for being here. And uh, we got another guy who makes fun of politics. Yeah, my name's Seamus Coughlin. I also do political satire for a YouTube channel I created a while ago called Freedom Tunes. We just do satire about current events. Sometimes we'll dive into deeper topics. And we also do educational cartoons every now and again. So that's pretty exciting and a lot of fun. So go check that out. We released a cartoon yesterday on the industrial military complex. And now they're constantly using World War II nostalgia to get people invested in new meddling in other countries and new policies of meddling in other countries and uh, I think you guys will enjoy it yeah it was disturbingly awesome thank you yeah. Ian. I, thank I went you. out and bought war bonds I was yeah, so that was, <laughs> he, he really took it literally yeah. the yeah. satire like went over I gotta defeat them Nazis yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> that's correct welcome back uh, hey everyone Ian Crossland here welcome back to me uh, yeah. I'm back again after two days I wasn't feeling very well so I took a couple days off and I decided to change my diet really hard I hard left turn I started eating only kimchi and aloe vera inner filet with these and eternal reds. No, and then it healed me. <laughs> so within like 40 hours, I, I just, I dodged like a serious cold. I could feel it coming on and I was just Good. like, nope, not going to eat the dry food because it was making me dehydrated. Dude, the I'm funniest, the funniest thing was that we had, uh, Congressman Randy Weber. Mm-hmm. Who's on the energy committee and he's, you know, if, when the Republicans win, he'll be the chair. And I was just like, the one time Ian really needs to talk about graphene. You're apparently the Tim, right Tim misrepresented. He was making I was like, I was Tim like, was like, graphene's horrible. I wouldn't even look at it. Dude, <laughs> graphene is awesome, by the way. We should, we should go <laughs> deeper into so graphene tonight. Yeah. Okay. Also, Touchscreen I'm, wallpaper. This is hilarious. I'm an idiot. Ian was out sick. 
And here I was filling in for him, not taking the empty spot, but sitting in his desk with the microphone he breathes into right in my Gross. face, knowing he was oh, sick. I, yeah. I didn't even consider it. Yeah, man, that old guest it. mic was the yeah. one. You got to wipe that one, one down. Used, yeah, I licked your mic when I came in. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Know. Am I going to get Ian to well, no. It's going to strengthen friends. your immunity. We're trying to Great. strengthen immunity okay. here. Nice. Before I forget, I want to kick it over to Lydia here, who's uh, also... I us. am also here. That's true. Thank you, Ian. I'm here in the corner. I'm very excited for Andrew Heaton. I was listening to his podcast, The Political Orphanage, earlier today and watching one of his videos. Mm. Hilarious, by the yeah. way. I'm going to have to make his podcast part of my regular rotation. Can, can I plug the latest episode? You can, yeah. So, I have been watching all the Ukraine footage. I've oh, been boy. watching all, the, all the, the, the breathless fighting between Republicans and Democrats, and I think the actual fissures are deeper and different than that. So I did an episode on that. I did an episode on international relations theory, which sounds boring but is actually just the DNA of war. Why is war caused, and what are the competing solutions to war? And so that was the latest episode. And go to TimCast.com, be a member, and you'll be supporting our journalists and the hard work they do. This is how we run the website. It's how we do the show. You guys as members keep all of this floating, protecting us from the evils of cancel culture. It's true. The more members we have, the stronger uh, we, we become. Like We're able to expand. We're able to be resilient in the face of activists trying to shut us down. So that's one, uh, one, one way you can really support us. You'll also get members only segments. Uh, you'll be, you'll be able to watch those Monday through Thursday. And, uh, don't forget to smash the like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends. And, uh, let's just, let's just throw it to this first story, which is just more of a general story. And then we'll just have a fun Friday hangout. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of news about inflation and gas. And it seems like the new news cycle that's starting to bubble up we're getting from Politico, from CNN, from the Washington Post and all these big outlets is that there's going to be a global food shortage or that we're already experiencing one, not to mention inflation is through the roof. So we got a couple stories about there's this billionaire who owns a chain of grocery stores and he said, buy your food now because it's going to get really expensive soon. They're saying that basically because Russia produces so much fertilizer and now no one can trade with them because of the war, we're going to see fertilizer costs skyrocket, availability diminish, crop yields will drop by 40%, come fall is when everyone's going to get hit by it. That's the latest scary news in the media and all has to do with the war and that's going on. So how are you guys doing? So if, if I can get a couple million bats and bat guano, I can corner the market on fertilizer? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ian. Yes. How do you feel about going... In on me, in with me on a bad investment. In on me, in oh, on me. Well, the way you ask me the questions, it's hard to say no. Let me put my no. thought in you. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes. now that you that. inside you know of me, we'll talk later. We'll discuss graphene and bats. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, maybe we do need a little bit of nationalizing. Uh, Fertilizer. What? I don't so, know. What? Nationalizing food production never ends well, bro. <laughs> what about fertilizer? It is a though. great way to murder yeah, millions it's, it's of just people. Make, yeah. yeah. How are the right way cheaper start. than nuclear weapons too? <laughs> socialized, socialized <laughs> agriculture is the best way to kill. That's people. actually a really good point. You know, we, we we work so hard on nuclear weapons to kill tons of people when all we need was communism. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, the cool. United States. Should have didn't even need to drop bombs on Japan. We could have just dropped communist pamphlets and then. So, like, co- communism in a nutshell, like the, the agriculture is such a good microcosm for that of like what the Soviets would do is they'd go, uh, okay, we need more, we need more crops. So, uh, we're going to order all of the farmers. You've got to till twice as much land now. And the farmers went, yeah, okay. And they just lifted up the, the, uh, the, 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 what do you call them? The, 
the rudders. The rudders are the tractors. You can tell I'm a farmer. They lifted up the rudders, and, and then they just <laughs> yeah. drove really fast. Like they just raked the top of it because they don't have a, a, any any personal gain in it. And then, like, of course, that meant that all of the the bushels of wheat declined, and everybody started starving to death in Ukraine. The other the other thing they would do is they would uh, go to the guy who knows how to farm, kill him, yeah, and yes. then take someone who did not a farm yeah. and put him in charge. Mm-hmm. Cambodia is a great example. I mean, yeah. Cambodia they literally first like Cambodia they shot anybody that had any kind of education. They yes. just shot it to the point where if you had glasses, Ian, you'd be up against the wall. This is Pol Pot. Yeah, Pol Pot. Was he like a subject of Mao or was he a friend of Mao or inspired by Mao or something? He was inspired. Not only was he inspired by Mao, he, this is literally the name of Cambodia's communist program was the super great leap forward. Not the great leap wow. forward, but the super great He's leap forward. It was forward. my idea. <laughs> and, and they killed about a quarter of the population doing uh. that. And they, they literally, they'd go, okay, the annual crop yield of the average hectare of farmland in Cambodia, let's say it's like eight bushels or something. They went, all right, from now on, everybody has to do 40 bushels. And people would go, uh, hi, I'm a Steve Dorr. I don't know how to farm. And also, there's a bunch of rocks here. And the, like, like, that was it. <laughs> and like, it, it caused massive, massive death. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was the funny thing where, um, was it Mao? He was like, kill the sparrows. Was that, was that Yeah. What? And then everybody, locusts ate right? all the crops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is why centralized. Don't let commies near food. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let commies Ever. near food. No, no, I mean, hold, on, hold on, hold on. Shout out, shout out to Maduro. Oh, oh boy. Oh, oh. yeah, did a great that? job there. When he was giving his national address and then just pulls an empanada out from a drawer Amazing. and bites it really yeah. slowly and then puts it back. On TV for everyone to watch. See, this is how great capitalism is. Because capitalism is like, what are we worried about? Getting fat. That's yes. what we're worried about with yes. capitalism is excess Twinkies. That's how mm-hmm. great the, like, like, we just produce all this stuff. Yeah, I saw AOC has a new ASMR video out. I don't know if you guys saw it. She's like whispering. She's like, no, baby. Wait, are you knows. serious? Stop it. Yeah, she's legit whispering into the. No, you're messing she's with like, me. No, I'm not. Are I mean, you serious? Yes. AOC did ASMR. I don't know if she was it's intending. It's like just whispering? Yeah, okay. it's just whispering. And she was like, people don't realize they're actually socialists because no one's a capitalist because no one has a billion dollars. What? And I'm that's like, not how, that's I'm not like, what the word means. you know, I, I don't, I, I, I was like going to tweet something that was like mean. And then I was just like, she's got a dictionary, right? Because that's not what capitalism she, means. Technically, she has a degree in economics. That, that's the thing that really <laughs> no, irritates me. She, she, she No, I believe she studied. I know she does. She clearly didn't yeah. sit through any of the classes. <laughs> that, that drives me nuts because I'm going to spend the rest of my life having to go, no, the definition of socialism is the government owns the means of production. Right. That's the definition of socialism. Right. It doesn't no, mean no, sharing. No. That would make the Koch brothers socialists. But what you fail to realize is that the definition of capitalism is you have a billion dollars. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. Oh, that explains oh. it. Seamus, you're so smart. Yeah, well, We're, I'm glad I could inform you guys. So in Communism, they own the production. Socialism, they also own the production. What's the difference there? There's actually debate about that, the, dif- the distinction between communism and socialism. Some people say that communism is the end state and socialism yeah. what comes in between. Yeah. Others say that communism was the go- is when the government completely controls culture and economy, whereas in, under socialism, they're just controlling economy. Well, it isn't really completely. Let me, let me, let me tell you what the lefties say. They say socialism is an economic system and communism is a political system. In socialism, you can have a variety of social issues. You can have a variety of, um, you know, like church or gay marriage. Uh-huh. But the economic system is the means of production are owned so, by the people. So, and they believe in full out socialism. There is like there's no, you know, uh, there, there would be no um, I don't want to say no currency, but there's no like private trade of goods. Whereas communism right. is everyone's equal. On every on every issue, and then so uh, communism includes issues like gay marriage, whereas socialism is just economic. That's I cool. So would it be like socialism is to communism as 
capitalism is to democracy. Yeah, but that, no. but that, that, that is a... No, no. Th- this no, like no. Capitalism is the economic <laughs> state and democracy is the governmental political state? Not necessarily. I mean, I mean, capitalism can exist under multiple systems. There's sure, yeah, yeah, there, exactly. There, in fact, but in our, there, there are many who argue democracy say, and capitalism are opposed to one another. Mm. Yeah, yeah, uh, saying... Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, socialism and communism are... Uh, uh, co- socialism is a large component of communist ideology. Like it can't exist, one can't exist. Communism cannot exist without socialism. Well, see, yes. But we're, we're also approaching this as Westerners from a liberal yeah. democracy. Because as Seamus rightly points out, the commies didn't think this way. Like, if you go back and you look at Soviet manifestos, like, but like back in the 80s, like, you see, like, uh, uh, the, the Soviet premier would say, we believe we can achieve communism in the next 10 years, right? So, like, to an American, that sounds very odd for the Soviet Union to say it's not, it's not communist. But the way commies thought was socialism is our economic policy. Mm-hmm. Communism is when the withering of the state occurs and the proletariat becomes the kind of the end all right. be all, right? That, that, like we, we, the last 30 years, we've made a distinction of socialist countries are socialist countries that are cute that we like, and communist <laughs> countries are socialist countries that we find scary. Yeah. And, and capitalism, for those, that, for those that don't know, is literally just when private individuals have the ability to trade amongst each other. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Yep. It, the private it, sector, meaning charity, individuals, and corporations. It own means, means that. Capitalism would be you as an individual decide that your labor has value and you decide what you're willing to exchange it for. In socialism, you don't get to decide what your labor is worth. You just get what's available. Yeah, I mean, central planners determine where your labor should be allocated. And to your point, this is why you constantly hear commies saying that real communism has never been tried because mm-hmm. they're talking about a theoretical end state, which has never existed in the Com- real world. Communism has they been... sure killed a lot of people trying to get there. Yeah, though, exactly. They? Real yeah, communism. They did some heavy lifting to try and get there. Yeah. Also, this is hilarious because they say communism works, and then they say real communism has never been tried. And how on earth could you know if it works if it's never yeah. been tried? Well, it sounds like they tried it for 100 years and failed it just yeah they failed to achieve their end goal you, well you could i mean on, like like uh, sounds so weird for me to say i think they could be right if you tried it with 150 people and anybody in that group could leave whenever they wanted mm-hmm. like but, if, and, but that would be communism because it, no, it's not it's not in coercive. A, yeah, no in no no it would be absolutely like a family's communist we've talked about this in the past in unlike it's like the valence levels of behavior in your family it's very communist to each the, to the one so they need in your city it's socialist you have firemen and they work that's for not the socialism. city and then that's not the greater yeah, whole we're more democratic that's republic that's not socialism Fire departments are not socialism. I Police think, well, social programs are not socialism. Mm-hmm. Socialism is when the factory is owned by the state. Yeah. Having well, like the ha- fire department is owned by the city. So you having some <laughs> components of emergency services that are provided to you through social services is not socialism. It's not socialism. You can call it social welfare programs. Like a hybrid. This is what happens with uh, Denmark and and you know Bernie Sanders is like they're socialist, yeah, and then it's the, true. The, it's true. and then the prime minister comes out and he says, "No, we're not." The prime minister flew to America to remind. Yeah. He's like, "No, we are actually a market economy. We are a market economy that has a robust welfare state." Exactly, which is a, a nuance that is very much lost on Bernie Sanders, who has converted the word socialism to mean sharing. So, yeah. Yeah. is the fire department part like welfare? Is it considered welfare? I, I would I would say uh, you could say that in a sense, yeah. Well, f- first of all, fi- fire department actually varies quite a lot in the United States. About half of the fire departments in the United States are private, voluntary organizations. Mm. Uh, about half of them are some combination of publicly funded and things like that. So the idea that all fire departments are a public government organization, the same way like police departments are, would be a misnomer. Um, I think I, I don't know. I I could kind of like I could kind of go either way on that because like theoretically, an army could be a mercenary army, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't we don't tend to have those. We tend to have uh, you know an actual military that that is paid for by by taxpayers and things. You can but, have uh, 
uh, like bodyguards and things like that. So fire, fire departments aren't producing things; they're emergency services. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it's fair to say there's a distinction between you open up a cracker factory and the government's like, no, 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 we control how this operates because it's going to be equal so for you, the you, people. You would make the distinction between uh, economic productivity or pr- just economic production versus services. Well, not necessarily services, because services could be anything. I mean, delivery services, the post office. I just think it's fair to say that uh, the fire department is not socialism. The fire department isn't the means of production. It's emergency services. So emergency services are different from services. The post office is not an emergency service. The post office, we could argue, should be privatized. You know, FedEx and UPS are better. I I argue that quite a lot, actually. I get occasionally people will call me from NPR and be like, you want to come talk about this? There are are some questions about – why the fi- why it's important the fire department be sort of nationalized, sort of uh, um, private. A lot of areas that have volunteer fire departments, they do because they don't have the resources to sustain large salaried fire departments. But one of the one of the issues with uh, fire departments as to why it might make sense to have it be sort of like a you know look we're going to cover all fire mm-hmm. is because fire spreads right. And if the police department showed up and said this guy doesn't pay us, right. we don't service him. It's like, what are you going to do? Put the fire out for the buildings next to it? No, we're all too close to each other. Just put the fire out, and we'll have to figure it out. Yeah, that's I'm, that, those are negative externalities are a legitimate role for government, in, yeah. in my opinion. You know, like like if you've got yeah. like smog, smog doesn't obey property lines, right? right? So like that's a situation where it makes sense to have some kind of adjudicating service. But coming. if I want to make and sell shoes. Having the shoe department where you've got to go apply at the government office and then pass some, you know, affirmative, you know, action test right. or, you know, diversity test, and then they allow you to be a shoemaker, that's a problem. And, that's and, a if, problem. and if there were a federal shoe department, and you and I came in and went, you know, we think the private sector could probably handle this. People would think we're monsters. Yeah. If I if I said we should privatize the federal shoe department because <laughs> the the Milwaukee public factory makes way too many left shoes and the uh, the Oregon factory makes insufficient right shoes, so we're making people wear two left shoes. I think the, the private sector could handle this. People would go, you want people to walk around barefoot in America and you're a monster. Yeah. You know, the problem with the Department of Education, people want that ended and I think privatized or at least yeah. sent around localized is that th- when you it's no longer federalized then how do you or, how do you organize it how do you make sure everyone's getting like a similar shoe size how do you make sure that your size 11 is the same as his size 11 if you're different companies with no government oversight you know, arguably it's not doing it now right I mean what yeah. is it, the federal government basically just tries to bribe state education departments with grants like with uh, no child left behind and that kind of thing but the actual government or the actual curriculum is still done at the state level and the funding is done at the local level yeah exactly I mean the Department of Education has only been around since the Carter. late 1970s yeah. so it's not as if this is integral to our public education system and even if it was it would still probably be it. bad because our public education system is horrible yes I think Massey said it would free up 400 million dollars a year yeah. again exactly. flip it if, if the if the private sector if we just had like charter schools and that was all the schools in America right now and we were looking at test scores people would go man the private sector's really failed we need to we need to change this yeah. but when the government does it we never go man the government's screwing this up we should privatize this yeah well exactly. so that, that, that's the way I describe it is with these social programs uh well, I'll, I'll start by saying all laws should have sunset clauses, you know, all bills Amen. being passed through Congress. And the same is true for all social programs. I like the idea that we're like, okay, we got a serious issue, right? We've got mass homelessness. We're going to need a major public works program. That's fine to me as long as it's got like a, a finite limit on when it expires. Because what happens is they come out and they say, we need a Department of Education. We need public schools because we need our kids to be educated. And then a few years goes by and the kids are suffering and doing worse. And so the way I describe this is the United States with a festering wound, they slap a bandage on it. They say, we'll just cover that up with a nice little bandage. And then a few years goes by and they look at it and now it's smoldering and infested and worse. And they say, let's just put another bandage on top of that. And just what they do is they keep dumping money into failing programs. 
so you think they're fixing it, but they're not really fixing it. Yeah. And right. They, so they're, they're saying, hey, we're going to fix it with this money. And you go, oh, thank you. And then you walk away. And then they don't actually fix it. They make it worse. And you can't falsify that either. Like if we're going to approach policymaking scientifically, you can't disprove a negative, right? Uh, like like if any any government program you ever put out there fails, the proponents of it can go, well, it was insufficiently funded. That applies literally Every anyway. single time, yeah. We failed, so give us more yeah. money. It's the, it would have worked if only there's you'd given a, us money, because, but there's yeah. never going to be enough money for everybody to have what they want. Yeah, it's hilarious. You see, you see political leaders do this a lot, too. Like, I didn't achieve everything I was supposed to in my first term, which is why you need to give me a yeah. second You know term. what? Like, sometimes it can be legitimate. I just want to mention this one Milton Friedman quote, that there is nothing <clears throat> so permanent as a temporary government program. You know what? Abolish the government. Just get rid of it all? Yeah. Just Let it fall? Whole thing. Abolish government. Yeah. I just, I want a boutique government. I want a little, like, compact IKEA Nobody, government. No, no government for anybody. Nobody gets any government. It's going to fall apart. It's none. Uh, am I the statist here? I did not see this. <laughs> no, no, I'm kind of All right, I think there too. should be a government. I just yeah, think yeah. it should basically protect us from bears no, and kidding. maybe communists. We need an agile <laughs> government that changes when the technology changes. Like, we should be working more online. The government's so slow to adapt. They're so happy getting their paychecks and just going to work when I they see, see the it. Here's where I disagree. Wait, wait. I actually think the government's too quick to adapt. I wish they, they moved a lot more slowly than they did. Ian, when, when powdered when, wigs. When yeah, was, yeah. like, the first paper on graphene? That I ever saw? No, just like in, what, what, what you can think of, like the first I think it was big two thousand four is when it was 2004. discovered. So, so we, we, we're looking at what are, what are we at now? Eight, Eighteen years, and the U.S. government has not be, is not made of graphene. I've never heard of someone in the government mention the word unless they're sitting across from me and I say it to them and then they repeat me. It's crazy. It's funny you whenever, had your opportunity yesterday. Whenever we have a politician and or you know Ian's like graphene, like now's my chance. Yes. You guys should be looking at this. As, as if like use the best government in the world to produce the most miraculous substrate and the planet Earth. It's pure but, carbon. But, you know, I'm somewhat kidding about the government being made of graphene, but I think it's a good it's a good example of Nancy Pelosi is a how old? You know, eighty, ninety eight. Look, the left and the right agree on this that we know there's an age of retirement and an age at which people start to deteriorate. Yet our government is run exclusively by yeah. you know septuagenarians and octogenarians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe with all due respect, these these people should be given an opportunity to retire off into the sunset and just relax with a coconut and a cigar or something. Have you ever heard of uh, El Presidente Salazar of Portugal? This mm-hmm. is a gr- can I tell? It's a very yeah, quick story, it. but this is one of my favorite stories. So, uh, Portugal had one of those dict- uh, presidents for life. Like in, I think it was in the 60s or the 70s, but he's like El Presidente, but he's, he's a dictator, right? He has a stroke, and he is on his deathbed, and the rubber-stamped parliament of Portugal goes, all right, enough of this nonsense. It's time to go back to being a democracy. Let's join the rest of Europe. We're going to be a liberal democracy. Uh, okay, everybody all in favor, we're, we're, we're a democracy now. But then he recovers, and they go, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. But he's like, he's okay, but he's kind of winded. So what they do is they send him to like the presidential winter palace. And for the next three years of his life, they don't tell him he's been ousted. And they send in <laughs> lying orderlies to come in every day and go, ah, oh, yes, Mr. President, we did as you said and we firebombed Lisbon or whatever. And they just give him like a, like they, they he's living in Truman's show. For three, the last three years of his life, I think it's a great thing to do with dictators. It's just you yeah. give him, give him a, give him a fake send off. Yeah, that's what they did with Napoleon. I mean, they knew they can't martyr the guy. That's well, they be careful they, you don't martyr the guy. He knew though. He knew he was. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't realize. He didn't think he was running Paris. That would have been funny. Oh yeah, he knew he was. He knew he was. Yeah. Left. That's of, why he came back. A lot back. of people recommended that, or a lot of the left was saying about Trump. You know, put him in a fake White House oh. and then just film it into a reality show where he thinks he's president. Yeah, part of me thinks that's what's happening with Biden. You know, like he's sitting there thinking he's playing video games, but Kamala handed him a controller that's not plugged in, and she's Shameless. actually the one doing it. You have it backwards. Yeah, the American people 
uh-huh. are being shown a TV screen. That's <laughs> so true. And, they're, and we're but, being told he's the president. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, I'm pretty sure things are being run by the people around him. The man can't finish a sentence. Well, I don't, I don't you know, I, I, I've said this several times. I think the people around him are trying to do what Biden wants, but a man that incoherent makes it impossible. So they're all, you know, the joke is like, they're all sitting around the table and, you know, and you've got uh, Millie and like Kamala. And then Biden's like, oh, this uh, is Ukraine thing. You know, Come on, man. Did you get a, uh, what? Come on, man. And then they're all sitting around looking at each other like, uh, what, what do we do? What did, what did he say he wants okay, us to do? And then, and then Trump was like, you got, you got Vladimir Putin. Get him on the phone and, and turn it on a shot of pressure. And they're like, okay. And then they all get up and leave the room. And they're all looking at each other like, what, 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 are, we do? what are we supposed to do? I don't know. What, do you, what did he say? And then they just start pressing random buttons. They're like, we're working, Biden. <laughs> so they're technically the ones doing things, but. It's like without without a nucleus, without a cohesive core yeah. guiding you. Like, you know, for all of Donald Trump's faults, he was telling people to do things, you know, and they would do them and things worked out. Now, Joe Biden is muttering to himself at the time and they're just pressing random buttons, hoping something happens. Look, you look at the Afghanistan withdrawal. Oh. Who in their right mind would be like, we're going to withdraw from the Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night without telling the Afghan security forces? Then we're going to try and evacuate people to the civilian airport once everyone's found out. Hold on. If, if our main goal is just to do it on the anniversary of 9-11, if that's the top goal, it makes sense. Yeah. If, if you're just doing it for symbolic purposes, if that's your top your top deal. I, I think I looked at the 2020 election, and I thought America had a choice between uh, a, getting on a train that keeps getting lost or getting on a train that hits cows for fun. <laughs> I, I thought it was a really, really bad uh, a choice that we all had to make on that one. This is the problem with um, first-past-the-post voting systems. Yes. Yeah, you end up with two pe- two people, and everyone just hates the other one so mm-hmm. much they vote for the other one. Mm-hmm. And you end up with, you know, look, in 2016, I was like, I'm not voting for Trump. And Hillary Clinton? Yeah, right. I'm definitely not voting for Hillary Clinton. When 2020 came around with critical race theory and everything that was going on, and then Trump released his, uh, uh, you know, second-term campaign positions, I was like, I'll vote for that. You know, it's it's not so bad. What was can, can you like? Because I'm I'm unfamiliar with your your whole arc. I know that you used to be a Bernie guy, right? Oh yeah. So but Bernie so like, lost his mind. So okay. So so it, like I wondered if maybe it's just you're a populist and probably and so, is that it? Oh, Bernie Sanders in 2015, open borders is a Koch brothers proposal. So you know, look, I've I guess on behalf of the neoliberal shills, we rather like open borders. We've we've been in favor of that for a while. So with Bernie, you've got a guy who's supported by a lot of working class guys. He says on stage at a debate, the gun control debate is an urban versus rural issue. And people in Vermont like guns. So it's not Democrat, Republican or whatever. There are Democrats who like guns. And I'm like, you know, I appreciate hearing this. Because I think and, – and, and back then I was not a staunch, you know, 2A absolutist for the most part. I was like, I think there's some reasonable discussion there. But it felt it felt reasonable because I know that people who live in rural areas have a different expectation on yeah. guns. So I lived in um, – on, in, in rural, uh, you know, outside of Miami in the Redlands back in, I think this was 2015. And so I understood what was going on in the neighborhood as to why people liked guns. There were illegal immigrants who were committing crimes and killing people. And it happened in, in this area. And so all of a sudden I'm like, I, I, I think I understand why people are having these conversations. But Bernie Sanders, you know, just quickly went full on neoliberal Democrat establishment Hillary Clinton, open borders. And I was like, I don't even know what the guy stands for at this point other than having a bunch of houses and saying, if you want to have several houses, you can write a best-selling book yeah. too. Donald Trump was a blowhard. He was bombastic. 
But uh, with 2020, you have his push against critical race theory. He banned not explicitly critical race theory, but the tenets of CRT, which violate the 1964 Civil Rights Act. He banned that from government contracts and in government training, which is really, really good. I knew Biden would overturn that and once again bring racist, white, like overtly white supremacist ideology segregation back into government under the guise of not being white supremacist. And they would accuse the people who are fighting for civil libertarianism of being the racists. So I'm like, that's one for Trump. Trump set a timeline for withdrawing out of Afghanistan. I said, I'd like to see that followed through. Look at what Biden did. Hey, I was right to vote for Trump. Joe Biden screwed that up miserably. Donald Trump is also for school. Wait, didn't, didn't Biden delay the timeline? He uh, delayed the he timeline. Delayed the timeline. And yeah. then he screwed up the withdrawal outright. Okay. So Donald Trump he surrendered. Yeah, how, how do you he think it would have been different than, than what Trump would have done in terms of Afghanistan? So, so uh, there's a question. Why, even Bill Maher mentioned, why didn't Vladimir Putin invade Ukraine under Trump? Donald Trump was a madman is a madman uh, to the point where the left said he's a madman and the right was like he's a madman and I'm like I think we all agree he's a madman but um, you know in varying ways right the right was like he's, a, he's eccentric and he's going to do it he's, he's going to do shocking things uh, Trump said recently that he was talking to Putin and said if you go into Ukraine I'll, I'll hit Moscow I'll nuke Moscow and he's like yeah he, he believed me a little bit maybe 5-10% but it's enough right I don't like that idea that our president's going to be like, I'll kill 10 million civilians. But then you look at, you know, what Trump was actually doing during this whole conflict. We saw the crushing of ISIS, which Russia was probably like, okay, well, you know, this guy's not crushing my allies like the the, the, the Obama administration was doing with Syria and, and basically arming the rebels in the Middle East. When he was talking about withdrawing from NATO, which would be very pleasing to Russia, right? So if I was Russia yep. and the president was talking about withdrawing from NATO, I would not want to antagonize but, NATO. But I wouldn't want to give them a rationale. Except you, if, you, if you mm-hmm. understand Trump, you understand he plays what's called the big ask. What Trump was saying, and many argue he saved NATO, Trump went to NATO and said, you're not paying your fair share for military, and you're expecting the American people to do it. I hear that, and I'm like, I, I that is right. That is true. I'm yes. absolutely sick of the, the U.S. The being the world The reason they all police. have the, the, the social welfare programs they have is because they don't have the military we have. We're and then, the military and if Russia exactly. encroaches on them, we have to foot the bill for them, while the people here crap, you know, talk crap about us because, like, look at those countries and everything they get. It's like, yeah, because our troops are over there, and they shouldn't be. Well, what ends up happening is they start paying a little bit more. What did Trump say when he went, to, he went to this NATO meeting and he said, Germany, you're dependent on Russia. Why is the U.S. footing the bill for NATO to protect you from Russia and then you're dependent on their oil? You keep doing deals with them. He was right about all that. So the reason why I think Vladimir Putin didn't invade Ukraine partly is because Trump is a bit, what's the right word for unpredictable and a little crazy, right? Erratic. Erratic. Yeah, Good word. Erratic. erratic. Okay. And so Putin genuinely, uh, I would imagine to a certain degree, was probably like, I'm not sure what he would do if I made these moves. Now, Biden, we, he's predictable. But with Donald Trump, you get the crushing of ISIS. Syria is Russia's ally. We don't like ISIS. The United States liked ISIS. The government did because it was destabilizing the Assad regime and the United States and Western powers wanted to build a pipeline through Syria. So it was also convenient for the West to be like, "Uh oh, we accidentally gave weapons to a bunch of jihadis. Trump goes in and blows them all up. You can say for better or for worse, the drone strikes and all that stuff. But ISIS was decimated under Trump. So, of course, Vladimir Putin isn't invading. The one way these left these leftists like to put it is they're like, because Trump was playing to Putin's agenda. And I'm like crushing ISIS, staying out of Ukraine's affairs and actually like uh, allowing things to semi-stabilize like the Abraham Accords. Oh, it's no wonder Putin was so upset. But if you're if you're like, that's Putin's agenda. What's your agenda? War? War in Eastern Europe? War in the Middle East? I don't want any of that. 
I don't think we should be the world police. So when I saw what Trump was doing, I said, I like these things. It's enough for me to vote for. The with, he, he, Trump tried getting our troops out of Syria. You know what happened? High, a high-ranking official lied to the American people about how many troops were in Syria to keep them there. It's insane. That is our commander-in-chief saying the American people want our troops out, and I'm going to make it happen. And they said, yeah, don't worry, Trump. There's only 200 left. Trump tried getting them all out, and they said, we can't do it because of the oil. So Trump publicly comes out and says, we're going to keep 200 people in there, you know, uh, uh, for the oil. And he blurts it out. And I'm like, good. Tell people what we're doing there and why we're doing it. You know what happens? One of the first things, we, one of the first reports we get when Biden gets back in office is that U.S. troops are moving through Syria again. Do you think Vladimir Putin was happy about that? But Syria is an ally of Russia, and, and Russia has a, a naval base in Tartus. So when the U.S. is in a country that Russia is allied with, it's not surprising that Putin's going to be like, you know, fires the missiles or whatever. So look, Donald Trump far from perfect for a lot of ways. I believe that he represents the worst of American culture. You know, talking privately on a bus or whatever about what, you know, women let you do it. You know, all of these things are crude and crass. He does not represent the office very well in terms of decorum. But when you look at how corrupt the Democratic establishment has been and are today and how they've kicked off all of this conflict, I think Donald Trump would have been uh, the much better choice. I believe that if Donald Trump was still in office, the Afghanistan withdrawal would have gone I wouldn't say swimmingly, but much, much better. I don't believe those 13. Couldn't have gone much worse. No, it was a, I don't think yeah, exactly. it was a surrender. He it, surrendered. No, no, no. The U.S. Jo- surrendered. Joe Biden. <laughs> surrendered. Joe Biden's administration abandoned the Bagram Air Force Base in the middle of the night without notifying the Afghan security forces. When the Afghani Marines were fighting for their lives, Joe Biden did nothing to assist them. In fact, they didn't even know what Biden was doing. Like whenever I abandon an Air Force base, I always text. Always, every single yeah. like, hey, yeah. Just so you, FYI, know. FYI, 11 p.m., I'm going Andrew, away. Andrew, Andrew, yeah. it's, 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 it's considered proper to do it in person. You know, you to know what? I, and I, know I, and I tend to ghost. I know you're not breaking up to. my text. This is what I just, you know, I'm like, I don't really like Canada anymore. I'm just, it'll figure it out. It'll figure it out. Take a look at uh, Keystone Pipeline getting shut down. So, so anyway, back to uh, you, you. May, may I add a little bit to your, your yeah, Russian yeah, yeah. timeline here? Um, I so uh, I first of all to key off of something you're bringing up, something that I'm very much bothered by in American discourse right now is the phrase. Uh, Putin apologist. Now, I don't like Putin, and if you do like Putin, you're in a Putin apologist, and you're well, wrong, and you deserve Putin's a, a scumbag. Program, yes, yeah. very much so. But like, like if if you're just saying like I don't think it's a good idea for NATO to indefinitely expand, and because uh, Putin would agree with you, you're a Putin apologist. Like if if you were opposed to going into Iraq. Are you a, a Saddam apologist? Like, I think in retrospect, we're like, that was a really bad idea. But I think a lot of the same voices that are kind of this neocon muscular liberalism are going, well, if you're saying anything other than my militant proposals, you are a Putin apologist. And it's like, no, there's more than two options. Yeah. Right. And, and one of them is like, it might be a, an imprudent idea. So I look at Russia and, uh, I, I see this more from a realist perspective, um, which is that there are great powers. Um, we are we're concerned about the interplay of powers, the power dynamics. Russia views Ukraine almost like we view Canada. If all of our historic enemies had marched through Canada to try to murder us over 300 years, yeah. and they were very upfront that like we will view any uh, annexation of Ukraine into NATO as an existential threat, very similar to how yeah. we would feel if Canada joined Russia in an alliance. We would have the same mindset here. By the way, all of these are amoral statements. I'm not saying Russia's good. I'm just yeah. saying this is how they're interpreting it outside of this. Um, in 2008, George W. Bush, during the Bucharest summit, um, goes, yeah, we're going to bring in Ukraine to NATO. Like, we're just, we're going to do it. We don't know when, but we are bringing Ukraine into NATO. 
Putin freaks out. What does he do? Later that year, two months later, he invades Georgia, the other country that was mentioned in that. Bush says we're right. going to bring in Georgia and Ukraine. He, he brings in uh, Georgia, um, starts agitating things. Uh, in uh, um, in was it when, when Biden was vice president, um, we start beginning this process of trying to pivot Ukraine to the American sphere. In 2014, their pro-Russian president is ousted. A new guy comes in that's pro-America. A day later, a day later, uh, Russia begins taking Crimea. Where they have a naval base. Where they already had a naval base. Right. There, there was no strategic reason to do that. I mean, that was because they were freaking out about all of this. Well, no, the, there's a strategic reason to take Crimea. They have a naval base there. It's their only warm water port. Right, right. Let, let, me, let me rephrase this. They yeah. already have the, the military stuff there that they need. So if, it, if it's additional moves that they're doing, it's because they are concerned about how the country's pivoting. And they're afraid it might right. go in a different direction. Uh, and then... Uh, you have in 2021 now that Biden's and I, so, so Trump did agitate Russia at one point because he authorized arms sales to Ukraine. So and they, he fired 59 Tomahawk missiles into Syria. Yeah. Hitting an airport. So, so it's, it, so he's, he's not like completely isolationist in that regard. Once Biden gets into office, we have uh, Anthony Blinken as the Secretary of State. We also, uh, we, we sign a U.S.-Ukrainian cooperation agreement, which is further attempting to bring Ukraine into our orbit. And then we sealed the deal, um, I think it was in November of last year, by doing joint naval exercises with Ukraine and the Black Sea, which would, again, be like if Canada did naval exercises with Russia and Lake Superior. And right. at that point, I think that's where the, 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 camel, the straws broke the camel's back. At well, there's, 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 a, there's a lot more um, to this. I think one of the reasons Vladimir Putin didn't invade Ukraine, one of them, is that uh, Donald Trump stumbled upon the corruption of Joe Biden in Ukraine when he did that phone call and uh, that perfect phone call, they say, or he says, when he said, look, you know, I, I saw this video about Joe Biden bragging about withholding aid or whatever. If you could look into that, what was that all about? And uh, I don't think Donald Trump really knew what that was all about. Just something he saw on the Internet. But they impeached him for it. Why? Well, as it turns out, the laptop story was all true. Joe Biden was involved with illicit dealings with his son through Ukraine. We've got the uh, Burisma, which, which is paying Joe Biden's son $83,000 a month or arguably more, depending on which source you're using. And uh, then there's the story about 10% for the big guy. I think when you look at Politico reported this. I don't know the 10% for the big guy. Is that a Biden reference? There was an email um, that came out where uh, it was, you know, like Devin Archer and, and um Hunter Biden, his associates. I want to be careful here because I don't have the specifics pulled up, but it was Hunter Biden and his associates talking about how they're going to be splitting up one of their business dealings. And they said, and I'll take an extra 10% for the big guy or something to that effect. And um, everyone believes that's Joe Biden because, you know, it's Joe Biden's the guy who controlled all the influence. We know that Joe and Hunter Biden shared bank accounts. And so right, right away, it's, you know, and then there's a text message from Hunter where he's talking. Wait, wait, hold on. Actually, I want to back up on that, really, because, yeah. like, oh, yeah. um, I, I look at the situation. I'm going to be honest with you. I have more of a mainstream approach to this. So this is new information to me, and I'm intrigued by this. I looked yeah. at that, and I went, it appears that the president of the United States is extorting an ally or at least a, a cooperative power. Trump? Yes. How is he extorting them? Uh, by withholding defense money in order to try and get them to target but a political. That's literally what Trump was investigating Biden doing. Joe Biden is on video saying, I want you to fire this prosecutor. Otherwise, you're not getting a billion dollars. And they said, this is Joe Biden's quote. He goes, yeah. they said, you can't do that. You're not the president. He goes, call him. Mm. Call him. Uh, you got six hours. Well, but, but if the prosecutor is not fired new in six hours, me. you don't get the billion dollars. The well, son of a bitch. He got fired. Now, you want to know. Sorry, I, I got to finish this. You want to know why Joe Biden got the prosecutor fired? 
the prosecutor, Victor Shokin, currently had at minimum 12 investigations into Burisma's founder, Mykola Zlachevsky. This is this is reporting from Matt Taibbi. And Shokin signed a sworn affidavit saying he was fired because Joe Biden was interfering in internal affairs in the country. And the president went to him and says, he's forcing us to fire you. Mykola Zlachevsky is deeply corrupt. They had frozen his assets before. He had fled the country before. But as soon as this new prosecutor gets in under Joe, from, thanks to Joe Biden, dude comes on back. Dude founds a company where Joe's son works. At the very least, you can say, Joe just didn't know that his son worked for the company. Joe says, I never talked to my son about his business dealings. Then thanks to the laptop, we learn that's not true. Joe Biden shared a bank account with his son while his son was... You see, the, the, the bank account bit's the part that's new oh, to me that yeah. I think is interesting. Because like, you, you could make an argument here. Let, let's Theoretically, let's say that uh, Hunter Biden is getting money um, because he's, he can just soak the cash up, and they're basically trying to bribe Biden by giving money to his son. Well, you could be an impeachable person and have somebody try to bribe you by giving money to your son. But if they're sharing bank accounts, that means that that firewall's gone. Joe Biden could become embroiled in the FBI's probe into Hunter's finances. Experts say emails reveal they shared bank accounts, paid each other's bills, and the president may have even funded his son's 2018 drug and prostitution binge. Now, if if Hunter Biden is getting money working for an energy company in which he has no business, and he's sharing a bank account with his dad, and a prosecutor is investing in, investigating that company, and then his dad comes in and says, "Fire him, or I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to withhold U.S. allotted." funding. That is so beyond criminal and corrupt. I am shocked that when Donald Trump catches this on accident and has no idea what it is and says, what's going on here? They impeached him for it. These people are deeply, deeply evil. Look at this. I mean, come on, man. When uh, to, to quote Joe Biden, how about that? Come on, man. Come on, man. Joe Biden is in photos with Hunter and uh, with Hunter and, and uh, uh, Hunter's associates. And he lied and said, I, I didn't talk to my son about this stuff. No, I'll tell you what it is. Politico reported this a while back. It's called Biden Inc. That the Biden family fortunes track alongside his political career. When Joe Biden was put in charge of Iraq under Obama, all of a sudden his brother's getting these lucrative contracts for construction in the country. Now you have Hunter Biden working at a company in which everyone knows he has no business working at, no expertise, doesn't speak the language, sharing bank accounts. Joe Biden comes in, gets the prosecutor who's investigating the founder, gets him fired, threatening to threatening to withhold funds from the U.S. government he has no right to do beyond abuse of power. And then what do they do? The media comes out and lies. They get Trump impeached for it. And now here we are with many people in this country still believing Trump was the one who was wrong for trying to get rid of that corruption. Now, truth be told, I don't think Trump is a great detective who was like, I must do what's right and save this country over this. No, I think Trump saw a meme video, a meme that went viral of Joe Biden saying, son of a bitch, guy got fired. And Trump's on the phone. He's like, what was that video about? If you if you look at the transcript, it's very much Trump bumbling into something. You have to ask yourself, why are so many high-ranking Democrat family members involved in Ukraine and these energy companies? I think it's because the U.S. policy on Ukraine was that we were – it's not just Ukraine. It's Syria. It's the Middle East. It's the Qatar-Turkey pipeline was we are going to destroy Russia's ability to control natural gas into Europe because gas is too expensive, and we're going to do it by any means necessary. In 2009 – 
It was, it was reported by The Guardian, I believe in 2012, that in 2009, the U.S. government had stated, we wanted to invade Syria because Bashar al-Assad was blocking our allies from building a pipeline through Syria and Turkey, specifically because Syria said, we are allies with Russia and we won't allow it. Then we ended up with our adversaries, I think it was Iran, are, uh, saying they could tap the same gas field and run it through Iraq and into Europe and strengthen Russia's gas monopoly. So the U.S. has to do a few things. They need to control Gazprom, which runs through Ukraine, and they need an alternative source of fuel. Surprise, surprise, Syria falls in a civil war. The U.S. starts funding the jihadis. Russia's pissed. Then we start getting these, these, these pro-Western, you know, protests. Now, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of people saying it was a CIA-backed coup. I'm not going that far. I'm saying the West, of course, is playing their influence game. The West doesn't want to pay these prices for gas. Russia doesn't want them to, to screw around with war and destroying their allies to undercut their energy business. But more importantly, if the U.S. policy on Ukraine was to gain control to reduce the cost of energy for our European allies, it appears that Joe Biden and many other high-profile individuals saw that and said, it's time to wet our beaks a little on this one. Get our family members in there so we can cut a profit while it's all going down. What is fascinating about this, and what I'm very much enjoying about this, in addition to learning a lot, is right now most of the debate happening in foreign policy circles in the United States is between realists, which is what I was talking about earlier, power, billiard balls, Otto von Bismarck, that kind of thing, realists, right, and liberals, which in, a, in an IR context don't think American liberals, think institution builders, NATO, European Union, WTO, yeah. right? Those are the two big fights right now. One of the other schools of foreign policy that's not a big part of the American experience at the moment, and, and don't freak out when I use this word, but it's Marxist. So Marxist IR theory is that it's not about power, it's not about institutions, it's about money. That, that you can look at international relations and you can understand them by looking at the ruling class of a country enriching itself. And this is fascinating, Tim, because and I'm not trying to throw any socialist aspersions at you. I'm just saying, like, your heuristic window is more economically motivated. So you've got a very different interpretation of this than most of the other news I've been consuming lately. And I find it very interesting. Well, I mean, I, I absolutely look at the, the ideological backing of a lot of this, too. Vladimir Putin very much wants to restore the might of the of the former Soviet empire. He wants the, the Russian empire back. He wants that trade union. So very much he's looking at countries like Kazakhstan, for instance, and he's saying, how can I build up my own block? to compete with NATO. But but uh, ultimately, it's. I think a lot of people have a, a simplistic view on things. You know, I, I talk to my friends and I ask them, do you think Vladimir Putin is intentionally trying to kill civilians? They'll say yes. And I ask them, why do you think that is? You know, typically people will say it's because he's a bad guy. You know, he wants to show the world how powerful and scary he is. He's evil. And I'm like, isn't that a little naive? You know, I certainly think Vladimir Putin is killing civilians. I, we have videos of it. And it's it's ridiculous to think that, he, that he's not. Um but I don't think Vladimir Putin gets up and says, I'm going to kill civilians today. I think he's like, this is a very strategic target for us in Kiev where Ukrainian forces are using. It is a civilian target. Hit it anyway. I think it's it's more nuanced. It's things like that. I, I think any time you hear people going, he's mad, that's lazy, yeah. right? Like it's possible, but very unlikely. I, generally speaking, when, when somebody who's previously made rational, if immoral, unethical decisions, which they're not the same thing. You can be rational and unethical a la Darth Vader. Um, when, when somebody has a track record of doing that, you're like, I don't understand what he's doing. He's probably crazy. That means that your heuristics are probably off and you need to reassess what their motivations are. Yeah. 
it's a complicated uh, 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 world we live in. It's it's not just oil. You, yeah, you don't think geopolitics is just black hats versus white hats all the time, all the oh, way yeah, down? Do you think it's, it's more you know, nuanced than that? Uh, yeah, the U.S. government weird. can do no wrong. Yeah. They've never lied yeah. to us. The well, look, mainstream a, media a, a great example of that, Tim, is the fact that we only make allies based on liberal democracy. That's why we're such good friends with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. You know that nice Republican people. democratic government with a Hayekian open market and individual rights? And we're very anti-fascist, which is, oh, of course, why we're absolutely opposed to the Nazis and the Azov Battalion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and mercenaries. Know. Like We wouldn't hire, like, Blackwater to do you know, a bunch of dirty work in the Middle East or anything. Here's, here's what I tell people. I, I certainly think that for the elites in this country, they view cultural issues as somewhat secondary. Like, I, I don't think Nancy Pelosi knows or cares all that much about what Gen Z thinks culturally. I think a lot of it is, how can you control systems? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think, you know, w- what I tell people is, when it came to Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I would tell my friends, do you like it that, you know, you can work in New York at a media company where you write articles about Brad Pitt's junk and get paid $65,000 a year? Like, are you happy with the amount of money you make and the job you have? And they typically are like, well, you know, I probably should make more and stuff. I'm like, okay. Would you prefer it if you had to, I don't know, shovel coal for $5 an hour? Would that be a better life for you? And they're like, what? No, of course not. I say, okay, let me explain to you why you get to work in New York City, why you get paid $65,000 a year to write articles once a week about Brad Pitt's junk. Doesn't that seem a little wrong to you? Like something's wrong with the system where you basically do nothing of value, but you're making, what is that, seven or eight times what people in Mexico or Brazil make? Isn't that strange? Yeah, it's because of the petrodollar. It's because of U.S. Uh, war, the war machine. It's because the United States, its, its special interest groups are willing to destroy countries to get cheap fuel and cheap energy. And the petrodollar helps, uh, helps us very much so in that we don't need to rely on exports for a strong currency. We just point guns at people and say, this, you better use ours. This, again, this is interesting because this is Marxist IR theory. Like Marxist IR theory, there's a subset of it called world systems theory. And the idea in world systems theory is that there's an industrialized core of capitalist countries. There's a semi-periphery of cheap labor. And there's a, peripher- a periphery of subsistence-level resource extraction. And if, if you're going with world systems theory, then, like, you look at Vietnam, and you're like, well, Vietnam was about uh, annexing or maintaining Vietnam as part of the American economic supply chain. It didn't have to do with containment theory, right? Right. Um, and, like, you're, how you're interpreting this would fall in line with that. Of, yeah, of yeah, like, no, I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's a reason why uh, I went down to Occupy Wall Street was interested in it. Mm-hmm. I think class-based issues are substantially more important than race or, or, or identity-based issues. And one of the problems we have right now in the country is that the left has adopted uh, critical race theory, which it pits people, uh, regular people against each other, poor people against each other. You end up with people like Serena Williams, who is one of the wealthiest people on the planet, most famous and, and most uh, um, celebrated, and she's a victim and a, she's oppressed. And you'll get a homeless white veteran who is an oppressor. Now, that system clearly does not make sense. Class issues matter substantially more than uh, these, you know, ridiculous ideas about privilege. Now, I certainly think racism exists. I think the problem with the left is they they're they see things too much at the surface level. White privilege is not what it is. It's it's majority privilege. You know, in any country in which you're the majority, you're going to have some benefits because people think, look and act like you more so than than other people, immigrants or strangers. But they just say it's white privilege, which is extremely r- reductive when you have someone who's white from South Africa or a white person from Ukraine uh, from from Ukraine. Luke Rydkowski, who comes on who, who's on the show every so often, he's a blonde haired blue eyed Polish guy. 
But according to the critical race theorists, he's a person of color. Absolutely. The, 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 the coalition of communities of color say that Slavic people are people of color, mm-hmm. even if they're white with blonde hair and blue eyes. I'm, no joke. I'm English, Scottish, Clydesdale. I think the 23andMe test was off. Oh, then right. you're, 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 then you're white. I'm, I'm straight up. I'm, I'm just a jar of mayonnaise. I feel like I, you can reverse engineer critical race theory to look at it as critical theory to see yeah. the class structure ripped away. Because what happened is when slavery ended in uh, the United States, a bunch of people were just descendants of slaves and slaves were dumped onto the streets with no education, no money. So their kids had no education, no money, most of them. Then their kids tend to have low or little education and money. And so we're looking at like the seventh generation now. A lot of those families, irrelevant of the skin color, they just happened to, in this iteration of slavery, you, come you from that area of the red world. Redlining go on as well, So, it, which would be the, the best way to accumulate multi-generational wealth is home ownership, and that was basically yep. precluded up until 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So now, And you but could argue there is systemic of, racism in this, but yeah. that is it is a class system. Yes, but the economic well, fallout is the main factor. I'll yes. also they, add they're, this. They're, to, they're, to introduce more complexity to what we're talking about here, it wasn't necessarily just a straight line of this group of people not gaining wealth through the generations. It's actually the case that prior to the 1960s, there were fewer black out-of-wedlock births than there are today by a significant margin. And we know one of the best ways to prevent poverty is to ensure that you're married before you have children. And so there are things that were done to the black community some say the war on drugs, some say the war on poverty. The Brookings Institute has actually said legal abortion is a big part of it, but there are policies that came much later. That, yeah, uh, I, I think there are I, – so I, I think systemic racism is, is – is, it absolutely exists. But there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue of how the left interprets it and what they think it means and how far and extreme they go with it. So I'll give you an example. You'll talk to one of these critical race theorists about systemic racism, and they'll tell you today – you know, that all police are racist or whatever. And I'm like, okay, you, you got to stop. You got to stop, right? Mm-hmm. The average person is substantially less racist, leaning towards not even racist for the most part mm-hmm. these days. That's the average person, you know, but, but, they'll, but they'll tell you the whole system's racist. What I, the way I explain it to people is that in the United, in Chicago, easiest example, we had two big problems, blockbusting and redlining. Have you ever heard of these? Redlining, of course, is very famous. It's where you have the red line trains. These, the real estate companies would isolate certain areas where they would only sell to black people and they wouldn't sell outside, creating these, you know, segregated areas. Blockbusting is one of the dirtiest and most evil things, you know, I've ever heard about. It's where these companies would go to a white neighborhood, buy a house, move a black family in, and then go door to door to all the houses and say, there goes the neighborhood. You better sell to us before it's too late. The people would panic sell at a premium to, the, to these companies who would then kick the black family out and sell the whole neighborhood back to white people at, 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 for a profit. That was made illegal. Redlining was made illegal, but only in the 80s. Yeah. That means there are people my age today who are just now the first generation getting out of overtly nowadays illegal systems that caused damage to people based on their race. Mm-hmm. So what I could say is, yes, obviously today – remnants of that racism still exists in the system. Are individuals racist? Some still are, but for the most part, we've, we've done a lot to change that. The solution, however, is not to go to a poor white person and say, you will not be granted access to this. We will take money from you. That makes no sense. Now that we've changed the laws, the solution is class-based. Because if the left believes that the black community is disproportionately impoverished, then class-based issues will still disproportionately favor them, but it won't leave behind Latinos, Asians, or white people who are also negatively impacted. I I, I have an ex-girlfriend who, uh, when we were dating... 
her father lived, um, I won't say where it is, it's not out her, but uh, her father, if she wanted to call him, she couldn't because he didn't own a phone. She was white, by the way, so where's her father? Um, but, like, if she wanted to get in contact with her dad, she had to call her neighbor and have her neighbor walk over to get her dad because her dad was that poor. And I think that's a good example of, like, I don't really feel like saying he had massive privilege really counts. Like, like that, that guy that couldn't afford a phone, I feel like is, is economically underprivileged. And I'll give you another example of um, systemic racism at work in government that's still there. When you look at almost all zoning laws, uh, I am most familiar with Los Angeles. Uh, to plug it, I wrote a book called Los Angeles is Hideous. Poems about an ugly city. So if you don't like LA and you like funny stuff, it's a funny book. I'll, I'll get your copy, Tim. I'll send that sounds it to good. You. I, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's fun. I book. don't like LA. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a, an asphalt carbuncle. Uh, but in the process of researching these poems that I wrote about Los Angeles, um, the reason that Los Angeles is the massive sprawling city that it is is not. Uh, it is accidental, but it's not unavoidable. The reason that it's so sprawling is that. Los Angeles during the, I guess it would be the, the 40s and 50s, uh, basically, like many cities in America, but I'm most familiar with that one, went, uh, oh, no, black people are moving in. We should basically outlaw apartment buildings because the, the, it was racist. It was overtly racist at the time. And the thinking was, well, if we make people live in homes and houses, white people can afford houses more than black people can. So already there's going to be an advantage there. But the way law is set up in California is that houses uh, in certain neighborhoods have what are called neighborhood covenants, where you own the property, but if you have to sell it, the neighborhood itself has to write off on that. They have mm-hmm. to sign off on that, meaning that you have to be a morally upstanding person of our skin color, right? And so that was intentional. So you look at, like, Los Angeles today, 80% of the real estate in Los Angeles now you can't have more than one family living in a place. You have to have a house. Right. Even though it's like, what, the, the second biggest, the biggest city in America, you can't build up legally. You can't build up. You have to build out. So it's pancaking. Do you know the story of St. Louis? How no. Saint, so, so St. Louis isn't actually one city. It's uh, I think it's uh, 99 plus smaller jurisdictions all cluttered together. Really? St. Louis is a city, don't get me wrong, yeah. but the greater St. Louis area that people refer to is actually a collection of a whole bunch of small cities. And so uh, what happened here was a long, long time ago in St. Louis, that we, uh, we ended up with, we, for a variety of reasons, desegregation comes into play. And there were many white people. Uh, and you gotta, you got to understand that back in the, in the late 50s and 60s, this country was what, like 92 90, or whatever percent white? So you have, you have these white communities, overtly white, start seeing black families moving into certain areas, and so they decide to start leaving. What they did was they moved outside of the city and created their own communities with covenant, with, with, uh, you know, covenants like, mm-hmm. you're only allowed to have 10 houses in this city, right. can't build anymore to make sure no one else could move in. Yeah. Long story short, by today, we have 90 plus jurisdictions, each with their own police department. What ends up happening is that many of these areas that are impoverished, and there is a tie between the black community and historical poverty for a variety of reasons like blockbusting, redline, blockbusting and redlining. And we know that home ownership is one of the ways that people transfer wealth, making it very difficult for them. What happens is the system that is not, I wouldn't call uh, uh, today, I wouldn't say it is racist, but it was created through racist ideas right. I people I mean, what had. we would call systemic racism, right? Like, it's a great example of, like, those of us with more, like, libertarian inclinations can go, great, I don't like regulations, right. and this is a great example of regulations being racist that we well, can so, kind of unite out and root them out. So what, what ends up happening is, for racial reasons, we end up with all these jurisdictions. Today, and so I, I went down, was, I was in Ferguson during the Michael Brown riots, and uh, I, I worked in a documentary, I produced a documentary about what was going on. There's something they have called going on tour. So what happens is you are uh, in one of these neighborhoods that is predominantly black. You, you're, you're lower income for a variety of reasons. 
you have a vehicle and uh, your plate is expired. Now it's 20 bucks to, to get your plate re-registered, but you're poor. You've got you know debt, you've got credit cards. So you decide, do I eat, do I pay gas or do I get my plate fixed? You say, well, look, I got to eat. I got to pay my rent. I can hope I don't get pulled over for my plate. You drive from you. So in order to go to work, you're likely going to drive through two or three different cities because they're these small jurisdictions. We saw this with a ton of people. They would leave their neighborhood and while they're driving, they get pulled over and the cop says, your plate's expired. Here's your ticket. Have a nice day. Mm. They start driving again. They get pulled over 10 minutes later. Plate's expired jurisdiction, in yeah. a different jurisdiction and it keeps happening. Then finally, when they're like, I couldn't pay the 20 bucks, I can't pay the hundred. Yeah. What happens is they'll get arrested and it'll be like a two day thing. You couldn't pay the fine. It's two days in jail. Yeah. What happens when they get out of jail? The police from the next jurisdiction are waiting for them to take them to the next jail. And they and, might have lost their job during that time. And too. they and they usually did. Now, a lot of people say, well, they shouldn't be driving with expired plates. Perhaps that's true. For a lot of these people, it's like, yo, I have to drive to get to work. I live in the suburbs. But another issue we, we, we saw was people who would get uh, tickets for their, their headlight going out. And so you're a dude and you're driving. You don't even know your headlight's out. You get pulled over. This is one of the stories we heard. And the guy's like, so I say, okay, I'll go home. I got to drive through two or three more cities where I get pulled over and end up with four tickets all for this. Do the, do the people that say, like, they shouldn't be driving with expired plates, why do we have those? Like, I, I get having a serial number on your car that identifies you own it makes sense to me. You should have that, right? But the little tags... That's just a regressive tax. That all that, that's right, all that 100%. is. It doesn't do anything. It's like the, the reason we do that is because poor people are the easiest group of taxpayers to militate against. It's a lot hard. Like, try doing a tax on yoga and see what happens to you. You're not going to get right. a bunch of upper middle class white people let you do that. Here, here's what I see. Same though. with cigarette taxes. With, with a lot mm-hmm. of these people, because of, because of past racism, we see a disproportionate amount of people who are impacted by a lot of these policies being black. Mm, yeah. The left today... Even though we've already passed laws outlawing all this stuff, and we have we have court precedent outlawing it, they look at white people and they turn it into a racism issue they can't let go. I certainly understand there were racist white people who, who made racist laws, right? But the challenge now is if we're going to do away with racism, we can't have other people being racist. It, more racism doesn't stop racism. It's just making more racism. That's why I keep telling people the solution to these problems is class-based, meaning if your income level is at a certain rate, then we provide you with certain relief. Because like I said, if they genuinely believe that systemic racism disproportionately impoverished black communities, then a class-based solution disproportionately benefits yeah. black communities without leaving behind Latinos, Asians, and, or white And you people. can have laws which are colorblind, which I think is a lot of the reason we have so right. much animus going on in the country right now is, to our great credit, most Americans aren't racist. Yep. Most Americans actually really abhor the concept of racism. Yep. And a lot of the fight we're having right now is that we have dueling definitions of racism. So I, I would say, and I think you guys are probably on board with this, that attributing rights, privileges, or guilt to someone based on skin color is inherently racist. So I don't yeah, want to yes. do that, right? Yeah. But a lot of people would disagree with this. They would take more of the equity approach. Uh, so, like, we're, we're talking kind of about... Which is uh, racist. Yeah, which is racist. So we're, we're going for, like, equality of opportunity. And we could acknowledge that not everybody has the same starting position, and we need to be trying to rectify that. But, but see, that's, that's um, it's a trick. When they, when, 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 when these, when these culty leftists ideologues come out and say that, um, you know, I think, you know, we ought to solve this problem of racism with equity, they don't really care about the issues of racism. They just know that people in America don't like racism and they found a way to exploit something that is morally repugnant. What they offer them is, I'm going to call you anti-racist. Will you support that? And the average person says, yes. 
Then they say, okay, be a racist and support segregation. And these weak-willed people agree to it. They agree to, we've got, uh, we had, in Dearborn, Michigan, we had the non, the non-POC and the POC segregated digital cafes. Up in, you know, in Wisconsin, we have the uh, non-POC, POC, you know, equity trainings. In California, they actually tried to repeal yeah. their civil rights right. legislation from their own constitution. Yeah, right. So going- and California, to its credit, went, wait a minute, you, like, just to be clear on this, the government's <laughs> asking us if we want to authorize giving rights and privileges based on skin color. Like, literally, that's what the government was doing. That should well, be like they, a they, red they, flag. They, but they literally said, we would like to discriminate on the basis of race. And the Californian pe- California people were like, yeah, no, yeah, we're yeah. not going to allow that. Right. But it was close. Yeah. So when they come out and they say, we oppose racism, they're lying. That's not true. They overtly support it. We're, we're the, the ability to disconnect anything like... Uh, I don't like this thing, so I'm going to declare it's racist. So, like, I don't do that. I'll give you an example. I don't. I think minimum wage is counterproductive. What, what I mean by that is, I would love for everybody to be making more money. I'm very much against poverty. I think minimum wage. What you're really doing is you're just outlawing labor below a certain threshold, which means yes. if you're not on the second rung of the ladder, we kick out the bottom rung of the ladder and we go, we fixed it. Well, I don't think that works, right? Now, I could go. You know, the first folks in America that were proponents of minimum wage were overt white supremacist racists. And they literally said, we don't want to have white people having to compete with black people. This is them thinking black people can always work for less because they have such low standards of living. So we've got to protect the white people. That was racist, right? But if you're today, if you're in favor of minimum wage, I think you were mistaken. I don't think you're doing it because you're a secret white supremacist. All gun control is racist. Shout out to Maj Touré. Black Mm -hmm. guns matter. Yeah, that, he, he makes a lot of really great points about that. And a lot of people really do need to understand this. Even it was Adam. Ru- you ever see Adam ruins everything? Mm-hmm. He had a really great segment. And, and I'm not a, I'm a, I think he gets a lot wrong. But he talks about how actually, yeah, gun control, modern gun control was racist. Basically, they, the, the, the white the, folks were afraid of the black folks getting the guns. Black Panthers. Yeah, they were. They didn't like the idea. And I think it was Reagan. It was California. And they were mm-hmm. like, we should have gun control. And it's funny because I get these lefties, these leftists, overt leftists who are like, Tim Pool talks about, you know, someone tweeted at me because I said something like more guns for everyone. And they, I, I, someone respond, replied and they were like, yeah, but as soon as the Black Panthers have guns, you start complaining. And I responded with, I, I want the Black Panthers yeah. to have all the guns. Tell them to come by. Yeah, Wherever come by. Barbecue. Like, yo, I'm like, I was like, I hope they get all the guns in the world. And then the leftists responded based. And what, I, what does based mean? I've seen this Like recently. on point, like correct, oh, okay. you know, savvy. By the way, this is one of the ways. Okay, you're 36. Yeah, I'm 38, and I you. Where are you at? The, the relationship <laughs> between us right now, like if we were at a mall, people would think you're my nephew explaining TikTok to me. You want? Like you it's know, all that collagen you're eating. You want to know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Biotrust. Thank you very much. You mm-hmm. know, you know what I would love to see? I would love to see. You know, you know, we had that. Um, what's that? What was that coalition in Georgia? With all it was, it's the Black Coalition. NFAC. NFAC. Yes. Not messing around. Yeah. Coalition. Not effing around. Coalition. I see. It's, have you seen this? No. Hundreds of guys marching through Georgia, uh, uh, through Georgia with guns. Terrible trigger discipline. Terrible. Yeah. My my only my only issue with them is there was an accidental discharge more than once. Like, come on, guys. Other than that, I'm like, if you're gonna have a gun parade, you really can't accidentally fire the gun. Right. My 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 that's criticism. Page two stuff. My criticism. These guys only had one gun each. They should have two. Constitutional I, rights. I'm not worried about these guys hurting me. I like that they have guns, and I think regular people having guns is a good thing. So you want to talk about racism? I think gun control is overtly racist. I'm not surprised the Democrats have been the ones pursuing it. I think it was also a little bit weird where the, the country for about four years was like, guys, we are literally fascists. We literally have a fascist president. We need to hide our Jewish friends. But also, 
we should take everybody's guns. And yeah. give them to the I'm fascists. Like, I'm like, wait a minute here. <laughs> like, if you actually thought a fascist was in control of the – then, like, like you know, like January – they're like, well, we'd never – there'd never be a reason well, to have an uprising uh, nationally. And I'm like, didn't the president contemplate, like, you know, basically sending in the National Guard on January 6th and things? Like, I don't know. Like, I'd say, like, that's the kind of thing that we, maybe we would need to have guns. Leftists are pro-gun. Liberals are not. Like traditional liberals are not pro-gun. They're anti Yeah, if you talk to any socialist, they're pro-pro-gun. Really? Until they gain power, and then they'll probably take the guns away from you. You should define uh, liberal, too. There's the American liberal, like you were saying earlier. Traditional liberal. Liberal economic order. They kind of twisted the word. Yeah, the traditional liberal is different. Can can I I give you my map of this? Because I I brought on Adam Gopnik from the New Yorker onto the political orphanage. He's a great guy. I really like Adam Gopnik, right? Um, I think you could look at, say, like... You, you you can look at the Democratic coalition, and broadly speaking, it is a coalition of leftists and liberals. And right. the Republican coalition is um, a coalition of classical liberals, the the libertarian, what we would call libertarian generally, and social also liberals uh, and social conservatives, and and like growingly like populist nationalists. Right? You look at the Libertarian Party; that is a coalition of classical liberals and anarchists. And the the interesting thing is that like. Constitutional conservatives are are intellectual cousins with liberals, but like leftists are a completely different intellectual right. lineage, right? Like leftists are a whole different ballpark. Whereas like uh, I don't know, Mike Lee and Adam Gopnik are both coming out of that Adam Smith, John Locke. They're coming out of the Enlightenment, right? It's right. so like liberals are like they have that Enlightenment background, and, and the distinction between liberals, uh, broad libertarians, and conservatives tends to be: are we prioritizing? Like egalitarian over meritocracy, and are we like what? What are we prioritizing? But they're operating in that same space. But yeah, like leftists are a completely different ballpark. Is that the liberal economic order? Like 1946, they start this. Yeah. That's the that's the leftist. No, no, no. no I no, would no. say like leftist, like because like li- liberals, and I'm again, I'm using this like making. I'm getting real granular here, right? Like liberals as opposed to leftists are believe in a market economy and rule of law. Right, like, like they, they are like they're they're coming at they're capitalists. Um, the the difference is that they're probably more bullish in terms of the efficacy of government regulation than say like your average conservative. But like they're they're kissing cousins. They're in the same yeah. ballpark, right? Whereas like leftists would be like, no, capitalism's inherently exploitative. Like that, like like capitalism's a bad thing. Whereas like uh, liberals see government as facilitating capitalism. Yeah. So it, it's interesting, you know, we, we try to define the two umbrella factions in the culture war. They say left or right. Within the right sphere of influence, it's amazing because of how vast and wide reaching it is. You've got the politically homeless, which are, these are, these are not classical liberals. You know, Dave Rubin likes to say, you're a classical liberal, a classical liberal. And I think he means that colloquially, not uh, in terms of the actual philosophy of classical liberalism. I think, maybe not today. But initially, I thought he was, I, I think what he was really referring to is a liberal from like the 90s, a, a mm. 90s Democrat of yeah. Bill Clinton or a Donald Trump. And so a classical liberal to a lot of people, because I had this conversation. He means liberal comma classic, like classic yes. Coke. That's what he's exactly. referring to. Yeah. I think nowadays he, he, he more so understands. He talks about right libertarianism and classical liberalism, classical, classical liberalism, like you're saying, like Locke, the Enlightenment, yeah. et cetera, civil libertarianism. But the politically homeless we see, a lot of these people are social liberals, hmm. which is a center left libertarian position, which is where I am a little bit. And that's where I can say things like, I believe there's systemic racism. I just think the leftist cult of, you know, critical You're very race much against censorship, right? Like, 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 mm-hmm. I, I, oh, go ahead. So I, I, we also got to make sure we're talking about the nuance here. Um, I'm opposed to censorship in terms of political opinions, yeah. political discourse. Course of government force suppressing opinions. But there's, a, but there's a big challenge there. 
some people have opinions which border on well i'll put it this way you're allowed to have the opinion and say the opinion but censorship can be good yeah you don't think so um I, I I mean, think, I'm pulling you into a trap, by the way. Sure. Okay, so let, can we make a distinction here, too? There's a difference between cultural censorship and government censorship. I'm going to say with government censorship, um, to the extent that you are suppressing a willful, active call for violence, in the sense that, like, if I tried to literally have people come kill you, that would be something you could, you're not expressing an opinion. You're, you're just precipitating a crime, w- right? What about content? Huh? Uh, and if, if you, if it's, you, I think, in tr- as far as the government is concerned, you have ultimate freedom of expression and ultimate freedom of opinion. Any opinion you have is legally valid. Uh, the government should never suppress your opinion. Now, now that's different than a culture, right? A culture is a little bit more different because culture is like, well, maybe I don't want to have you on my platform because I just don't like you, right? Uh, or maybe can, it's bad for my bottom dollar. I can give you a really good example, and it's uh, uh, thanks to our good friend Ian, helping who, who's enlightened me the a lot. Graphite guy, stuff. the graphi- graphene, graphene guy, graphite, 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 Ian was a censor. Yeah, I worked at Mines. And uh, I Ian, co-founded Mines and did administrative stuff for five years. Right, but that's not any government censorship, right? Like no, that's, no, no, that's no. a private, a well, private phenomenon. No, 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 no. It's a combination of cultural and uh, government. When people are posting graphic images of children in sexual positions, censors are extremely important. It's illegal, then, so that's government. The government mm, sets okay. the legalities and, and then the culture kind of begins. Then they set their own terms, so like... Twitter can ban you for things that aren't illegal. Technically, they can all ban you for any right. reason without, and for no reason at all, uh, which is crazy to well, me. But none of that would run afoul of my criteria that I established of, of expressing well, an opinion. But right? so I, I want to yeah, make sure express your posting, opinion about whether child pornography should be legal or not. Like when people post a picture of something saying, this is my opinion, the picture says it all. That's mm. not really someone's opinion. You're, you're right. writing text on a page. That's not really your opinion. So that's text. My, my point was just simply, I think when a lot of people say censorship, there's a, a sort of colloquial definition that is a narrow view of what censorship is. And that is someone expressing their opinion, uh, having a discussion, and they get shut down by one of these platforms. And, uh, yeah, we agree. But you bad. could say, my, I think the child porn should be legal. That, I don't you think should, that. You definitely. Right. But you, you can say <laughs> that. Obviously, none of us think. Oh, you can say yeah. that. That is legal to say. You're, you're allowed to have and a reprobate opinion. Yeah, you can say that on social media. You just can't yeah. show the stuff right. because it's illegal. Yeah. So but the, isn't the, that also, but here's what, isn't that, is that not also a call to violence to take that position? Because you're saying this inherently violent thing should be allowed to be done to children. What do you mean? You're allowed you're to say that in the United that States. No, no, no. It's not no. an imminent threat like, of violence. If it was imminent, if you were like on yeah. Thursday at 2 p.m., you should mm. fill in the blank, mm. then you're that's illegal. I think I think if you were to take that logic to it to the nth degree, if mm. if you think a zygote is a child, then mm. you would be able to suppress pro-choice rhetoric because it would mm. be killing children, right? Yeah, I mean, I, and I do believe a zygote's a child. I think that if someone's speaking uh, pro-choice talking points, it makes sense to have an argument, especially because a lot of people aren't as informed on the science there. But when it comes to directly saying that people should be able to do things that directly harm children with well, respect. But, 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 but if, if I was if I was an abortion doctor and I said I think we should have abortions, right? Mm-hmm. I, in your worldview, I would be mm-hmm. saying we should be killing babies. So yeah, should, absolutely. Should, should my opinion yeah. be legally suppressed? That's a really good question. I think there's a difference. That's actually a really good question. I'm going to think about that. But I think there's a difference between that and arguing in favor of CP. No, like if you're actually pushing to legalize it when it's not already legal. Correct. Pushing to legalize something that's already illegal. Well, you're allowed Which to say it should be legal. Yeah. But if you, you gotta, say you gotta, do it and you, it's an imminent. Yeah. Can, can I can I back up a little bit because I want to mm-hmm. talk about the culture war briefly? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I I think that it is a complete misnomer to even discuss the culture war in terms of left ver- left versus right. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a trick that corporate media does because it knows it can get people fired up because mm-hmm. we have been taught to embrace 
what I call teeter-totter thinking. Mm-hmm. Teeter-totter thinking is if I say something negative about Biden, I must be pro-Trump. Right. If I say something negative about Obama, I must be pro-George W. Bush. Sometimes mm-hmm. they all suck, right? Shout out yeah. to Michael Malice. My, uh, you know, when when he tweets something bad about Biden, they're like, our, well, our you an- support yeah, Trump. Exactly. And- our, our anarchist friend right. who thinks <laughs> all government is illegitimate is not a fan. But I, um, I just love it when people tweet at him. He'll say something about Biden, and they'll be like, well, Trump did this, and right. he's like, Okay. <laughs> right. It's, again, it's not a teeter totter. Yeah. You can have, but, but like, but, but the, uh, it's easier to make money by getting people to go on red versus blue all the time, right? The culture war is not right versus left. It's never been right versus left. The culture war is between pluralists and authoritarians. Um, it's, we've, we've had so many conversations trying to, 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 you know, assess and break down the, the culture war. I do think left and right are just terms we use socially to describe parent factions. Like leftists and traditional liberals, for some reason, are aligned. It's very right. strange. And then you have social liberals, libertarians, and social conservatives aligned. Right. Very strange. Like mm-hmm. Dave Rubin, a gay married man, hanging out right. with uh, you know a ben conservative Shapiro. Jewish man, yeah. Ben Shapiro. Yeah. And uh, they're because they they agree on more important things than certain issues that have been you know overshadowed by the, well, the culture I'll, war. I'll argue that the left. Oh, please. But I was going to say uh, you said pluralist versus authoritarian. Yeah. Um, I I actually think it's uh, it's it's really hard to define. We've, we've looked at it a few ways. A lot of people have said authoritarian versus libertarian thinking. You know, we're hearing. I think that would be a good stand-in, although I like to use different terms. But there's also a lot else, uh, else in there. We had Stephen Marsh on the show who wrote the book The Next Civil War, and he said, within the United States, there is a multicultural democracy and a constitutional republic, uh-huh. and they can't coexist. And that's really interesting, too, because you could say that the left culture war faction is a multicultural democracy and the right is a constitutional republic. And that actually explains the disparate political opinions better than left or right. Yeah, elaborate on that because that's well, fascinating. Well, so uh, you look at someone like Dave Rubin, a gay married man, yeah. and Ben Shapiro, and they get along. And it's because they're in the constitutional republic. They look at America and its values. And though they disagree on social issues, their their core fabric is, is well within an, a framework they understand. The multicultural democracy doesn't believe in things like republicanism. You know, uh, um, electoral college is a really good example of this. They want majority rules. Mm-hmm. They want uh, open borders, multicultural uh, I- I thinking. And that may be a, an, an easy way to explain it. There is another way that I've explained it, too. The Judeo-Christian moral framework versus the fascistic moral framework. How we would describe the left is, to quote the late David Graeber, they've adopted tenets of fascism, that there is no truth but power. Whereas the Constitutional Republic believes in inalienable rights and a lot of values that are rooted in a Christian moral framework, whether they realize it or not. For example, uh, the, the, uh, the right to uh, you're, you're innocent until proven guilty is it actually comes from the Bible. So uh, I, I was fascinated by this and I read the history of I believe this is this is the Fifth Amendment, right? Um, Fifth Amendment has, has a couple other provi- couple pro- provisions in it. But um, I was reading about why is it that in the United States we, we take very seriously you are innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. Well, it actually comes from a quote from Ben Franklin. It is better that 100 guilty persons escape right. than one innocent person suffer. That value came to him through Blackstone's formulation. It is better that 10 guilty persons escape than one innocent person suffer. And Blackstone's formulation is based on the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. If there is but one righteous person, you know, I will not destroy the city. And then I think ultimately God does, you know, wipe he them does out. Wipe them but out, yeah. only after but he evacuates, it, yeah. evacuates the people. And so people like Bill wow. Maher, I find interesting because he's secular. He's an atheist, but his moral values are built upon a Christian moral framework, whether he realizes it or not. 
I'm not saying he has to believe in God or he does because of this. I'm saying the values that were, that were born out of Christianity, he retains those despite not believing in the actual religion. The leftists don't believe in that religion at all, and they have no core moral framework, which is probably why they flip flop on issues and there seems to be no cohesive moral pattern to what they do. It's why they will defend some, it's why they'll say only white people can be racist. And Candace Owens is a white supremacist, yeah. right? There's no clear logical pattern there because there is no root moral framework other than there is no truth but power, which is what David Graeber said. He said this a few years ago. He was the, he didn't like being called this, but they called him the anarchist anthropologist. And he said that the left, a certain sect of the left has embraced fascistic tenets. Can, can I outline, outline my theory for you? Just convolute this a little bit more. Oh, do it to it. Um, so as I said, I see it like, like, I know you've brought up on the show before the political compass, right? So, like, the XY axis of, like, economic versus social, left libertarian, and so on and yeah. so forth. I would posit there's a separate axis, which is how do you react to negative opinions? Or how, how should mm. society govern negative opinions? And if you're coming towards the top of that, you're on the side of pluralism, which is to say, like Dave Rubin and Ben, who I think are a good example of this, I disagree with you, but our society is big enough for people I disagree with. We're not going to crack down on that. Error is okay within a pluralistic society. You're allowed to be wrong. I'm an atheist. You guys are Catholics or whatever the thing is, right? We can do that, right? If you're not a pluralist, you're an authoritarian, your line of thinking is no. Society has to be on the same page. And I think there's a spectrum to it. I think that, like, I think that the people that are authoritarians tend to be, they self-soothe through compliance where when, when there's a pandemic, it's very important to march around and go, you've got to wear your mask right now. Uh, because I, I am going to self-soothe myself by doing this. Or alternately, um, you, you can never, ever say that, whatever the thing is, you can't say that. So one, one of the things, too, uh, in all this, to, you know, to build upon this, uh, for the Constitutional Republic faction, or whatever you want to call it, it seems like we all believe in something greater than ourselves. When I say that Seamus has rights, mm -hmm. it's because I believe that I am not God, I am not an all-powerful entity. I am not deserving of this world or entitled. I believe that an individual has equal rights to me because there is something that exists outside of me that I don't control. We are all within this one universe. I don't necessarily think that's um, inherently rooted in Christianity. It's rooted in an idea that the universe is bigger than you. But you look at what the, the modern you know, left tribe or multicultural democracy view is, and it's if I can take the power, I should. And so it seems like their moral framework is not built upon whether or not another person has individual rights, which is why, once again, there seems to be no logic to whatever morality they claim to have. It seems like they're willing to just say what they need to say to gain power, which is why you end up with Instagram accounts or Twitter accounts like Defiant L's, where you very, you ever, you ever see it? very yeah. often will get a tweet great. from a, a mainstream left personality saying, you know, we should do X. And then, uh, you know, a tweet from them later saying, you know, X is evil. You'll get people saying, uh, you know, war is wrong or Donald Trump is going to lead us into World War Three. He's a madman and we need to impeach him. And then Joe Biden absolutely should be implementing a no-fly zone, even if it starts World War Three. There's no logical consistency there other than if I if it gains me power, I can do it. My worldview is I have no right to usurp power from other people by force or through manipulation because there is something bigger than me. Well, I, right, well I, I, since we're fans of convoluting things, I want to convolute this even further. Yeah, I'll go after you. So when it <laughs> comes to this idea of a political compass and the culture war, part of where it gets really confusing is that it seems to me as if right now and for the past several years, it has more or less been the case that at least when it comes to many social and economic issues, the left is more authoritarian. The right tends towards something a little more libertarian, but not necessarily fully libertarian. But it, it seems as if whichever group 
on the right or left has power will become more authoritarian. <coughs> and so it's something that each side will jump to and from. And also what a person views as being authoritarian or non-authoritarian is totally informed by whether they're on the right or left. So, for example, when you're talking about the masks and the vaccines and these other COVID lockdowns, someone on the left is going to say, well, that's not authoritarian at all. I'm actually protecting the little guy. Uh, or if you look at even something like economic issues, they'll say, well, by increasing taxes on large corporations, I'm not telling people who are voluntarily exchanging goods that they're not allowed to do that and acting as an authority. I'm actually protecting the little guy because he doesn't have as much leverage. So for me, it's difficult to separate the left and right from authoritarianism slash libertarianism, but also it's difficult for me to define exactly where let they're me, connected. But let me just say, there's a reason why when you look at polls, independents and moderates tend to have similar world worldviews to conservatives. Hmm. It's, it's, it's very, very simple. Who would you say is uh, the most prominent progressive left personality? AOC. In, in terms of, like, media punditry, not politics. Interesting. Oh, uh, in, in terms of, gosh, I don't know. Uh, in, in terms Anybody of have any talking heads? I'm yeah, let's say, let's say someone with Stephen a Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert. He's like an establishment liberal, though. I wouldn't. That's fine. Is that what we're talking about, not yeah. leftists? So uh, let, let me ask you a question. If you were sitting down and you had Stephen Colbert on one side and Ben Shapiro on the other, who do you think would tell you the truth and nothing but the truth? You know, I actually really like Colbert. I don't think he'd lie to me. I, I disagree with his politics. I do think he's a decent man. So no, I don't, Colbert, I don't, he, he lies. He lies a lot. Tell you what, could we? I never lie, folks. Okay, gang. Okay. I've never, never lied, and I would not lie to Stephen Colbert. I, 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 uh, I've, I disagree with Ben Shapiro's politics. You know, not all of them. But uh, when I watch him argue, I'm like, well, what he's saying is true. I, I see his assessment mm-hmm. there. I'll, I'll disagree with him. I see. I've seen him be wrong, mm-hmm. but I have. Oh, I have seen mainstream left personalities outright lie every step of the way. I mean, I run the list. Every, I think every day this week I've run the list on all the mainstream. Not, not all of them. As many as I can count on one hand. It's so easy to do. I, I, I have Tre- to put uh, on my, my Pollyanna hat for a minute. I I don't think that there is a political ideology in the United States that is just inherently prone to lying or immorality. I, I think most of the people in the United States, be they on the left, the right, the center, independent, whatever, most people are wanting to live in a free, prosperous, peaceful society. And the argument is how we achieve that Should goal. I start counting? Yeah, well, I, no, 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 no. Hold, hold, hold on. I, I, but, but, but I just got to say, I, I think you're completely wrong. Trayvon Martin's story was a lie. The mainstream media was NBC, I believe, edited the phone call from Zimmerman to make it sound like he was racist. The Michael Brown story was a lie. His hands were not up. Hands up, don't shoot is not, shoot is not true. Jesse Smollett, obviously, obviously a lie. Do you think it's the institutions that are lying, or do you think just people prone to the left are liars? Like, do you think it's something inherent to the political philosophy, or do you yes, think— Yes, there is no truth but power. So we've seen this ri- rising over the past decade or so. And that's, that's why I cite David Graeber, because he was the anarchist anthropologist. He was a left anarchist who, who tweeted this out. That they have adopted this tenet of there is no truth but power. So you can actually see them come out and, and, and overtly lie every step of the way. And it's not just the activists who are now being indicted on fraud on more than one occasion or the BLM offices, which apparently didn't exist and no one was there. And the money is who knows where the woman who's got multiple houses or the woman in Boston who's being indicted on 18 charges of fraud. Don't get me wrong. The right has their liars and manipulators because grifters and con men and con women exist across the board. But when you have consistently 
Russia Gate's fake. Ukraine Gate is fake. Um, the Covington kids thing was a hoax. The uh, uh, um, Kyle Rittenhouse story fabricated. The left was actually putting up stories saying he crossed state lines with a gun to hunt down black people, which was totally fabricated. You can go through almost every single story about some hate, some uh, graffiti, vandalism, hate crime. And it was a tweet between Matt Walsh and uh, Matt Walsh put up with him and Andy No, oh, And they said, I can't think of any example in recent history in which this turned out to be true where a white supremacist person was racist and sprayed a swastika or a slur. It always turns out to be a hoax across the board. What, what you, Ahmed Arbery is one that really, really gets me because the conservatives bought into it too. You know the story the guy was jogging, they said, and then the three white guys lynched him or something? This is the guy that got shot, the jogger that like the, like, Well, he wasn't jogging, but sure. Uh, yeah, there was, there was a, so he ran up to the truck where the two guys were and then tried to take the shotgun from one of the guys and then it went off and hit him in the chest and he was a felony burglary suspect. Look, the guy shouldn't have died. But when you get even conservatives like Fox News coming out and just playing along with the establishment's lies over and over and over again, you got a problem. But yeah, I just got to say, if I talk to Ben Shapiro, he might be wrong about some things, but he tries to be factual. And that's not, I'm not saying Ben Shapiro is a, a perfect human being. I'm sure he gets things wrong. I'm sure there's things he can't talk about. But I, I keep seeing this as a, as a tendency. There, it is the, it is the, uh, on the right, the rule is typically honest. And the exception is sometimes people lie or get things wrong. On the left, the rule is they lie all the time. And the exception is some of them sometimes are honest. Yeah. Crystal Ball is a progressive. She's fantastic. Jimmy Dore is a leftist. He's fantastic. Kyle Kalinske, also fantastic. I think most they people all, we, lie. We, 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 do, we do differ on that. And, that, and I'm, not, I'm not saying yay left, but I, I think it's dangerous to live in a Manichaean world of my team's the good team and we're the holy people. And They're the not other my team. team. I'm evil. not a conservative. Sure. But the, real, but the, 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 the reality is like black hats and white hats. Like I, one of the things I notice in politics of late is there is a view of the problem is bad people. And then the other system is the problem is bad systems. I'm a system thinker, right? So I think that if you take a bad system, you put in good people, you're still going to get negative outcome. Um, I don't think that if you just root out all the bad people, all of a sudden everything works well, right? So I'm, I'm very bothered by the increase in Manichaean thinking in the United States and the idea that there's a bad team and a good team, and if we could just so, defeat the bad team. But oh, well, yeah, so what if the bad team is the institutions and the establishment? Then another one will rise up. If you burn it to the ground, I, 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 I think they're separate, and I, I, don't think that, the I don't think within the American context that, like, liberals, the Adam Gottmicks we're talking about earlier, I, I don't think that they're inherently liars or anything like that. I, I'll, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a hard example. Um, the Gordon Sondland testimony over Trump and quid pro quo. There's, a, there's an image I have on my Instagram showing two TV screens. I think one is CBS and one is Fox News. One is overtly lying and one is closer to the truth, Fox News, as it turns out. CBS says Sondland confirms quid pro quo. Why? Well, Sondland was asked, did Donald Trump engage in a quid pro quo? And he said, well, Trump told me explicitly, I don't want anything for this, no quid pro quo. But I kind of think he wanted it. So CBS reports confirmed he wanted it. Why? Because some guy's opinion was it. Fox News went with the factual statement, which is Trump said no quid pro quo, and Sondland's opinion is not relevant to what the president actually requested. Now, when you have those two screens showing the exact opposites, and one is based on the opinion of a guy, irrespective of the fact that Trump said no quid pro quo, that is a lie. Now, how do you? But it's it's an anecdotal lie. It doesn't necessarily make it emblematic. And at a certain point, you have. Almost every single Black Lives Matter major story that resulted in mass rioting, the defense of the mass rioters, every single lie from the mainstream media, mostly peaceful protests while the, while the police department's burning down. At a certain point, if you say these people aren't inherently bad people, 
then I think you're actually running defense for people who have been proven time and time again to lie about everything. So let me, let me do, just, do, let, do I have to say, like, if I've got a neighbor that's a Democrat, do I have to say he's an inherently bad person? No, of course not. Okay. The, the average Democrat voter is probably uh, just not aware of a lot of these issues. And the bigger issue is that um, organizations like the Daily Beast, for instance, lie about everything. But when you see uh, just the other day, the New York Times finally acknowledged that the Hunter Biden's laptop was real. NPR said, not a real story. Facebook and Twitter used this reporting from mainstream outlets to suppress factual information that was very, very pertinent to this election that was coming up. They do this all the time. And when you see these activist organizations on the left working in tandem with them, at a certain point, you have to be like, yo, they're all in alignment. They're consistently lying to us and they're destroying and harming people every time they do this. Kamala Harris helped bail out people who are rioting and burning down buildings. Joe Biden launched his campaign on a lie, claiming that Donald Trump defended white supremacists, which he didn't do. The media just lied about everything over and over and over again. Now, Fox News is not perfect. Hannity is is very much a warmonger. I'm not a big fan of Hannity or Ingram. I think Tucker is actually a bit, he, he takes things a little far, he gets a little angry sometimes. Fox News is basic reporting like Brett Baer. It's actually not that bad. And if you watch The Five, Geraldo Rivera may as well be a Democrat. They've yeah. got a good a, a group of, of voices kind of arguing with each other. But you turn on uh, CNN or MSNBC, and I'm sitting there just like, wow, it's all lies. It's just over and over again. Take a look at this. Just recently, the Daily Beast claimed that I pushed Kremlin propaganda about U.S.-funded bioweapons labs. Literally, I've never said that. In fact, the segments we've done in the show is me saying the story's probably not true. They're not bioweapons labs. These maps don't even line up, yet they just fabricate the information. The amount of fake stories that were, the amount of stories that were fabricated by the Daily Beast about me are, are absolutely, ins- it's, it's insane to watch. But look, outside of me, outside of anecdotes, if you have 800 or 1,000 anecdotes of all of these throughout for the past dozen, you know, a dozen or so years, they've all kept doing the same thing. At a certain point, you have to say, I think this might be data. Right. So you start with the beginning of Black Lives Matter. Trayvon Martin, fabricated story. Zimmerman's not a white guy. He's Hispanic. He didn't just walk up to Trayvon and kill him. They were actually fighting. Trayvon was at him on the ground. Can I ask a clarifying question? uh, uh, When when you say you you have all this data, clearly you do. Is this data going into a binary framework? Like, is it the right, the left, and everybody's on that? Do you think there's multiple? Like, for me, I look at it, I think there's like 15 different political tribes in the United States. And well, we, we falsely lump them into left versus right, and that lends itself to this mannequin thinking of good versus bad, right, blue versus red, everybody's in one or the other. Like, there's, paint, paint your worldview for me. There's two parent spheres of influence, what we could describe as the left sphere of influence and the right sphere of influence. Within each of these are other disparate factions, often that don't even agree with each other. Progressives very much don't like the establishment Democrats, but they're in the same sphere of influence based upon the news they consume, their tendency towards lying, uh, and what, you know, and, and how they're willing to manipulate to gain power. Uh, on the right sphere of influence, you have a sort of value and moral, uh, honor based system that credibility is earned through being honest with someone, allowing them to fact check it, and then making your case. What was the left one again? The left sphere of influence, in, in, how, how, what do you mean? like the, the traditional Democrats, the media. Sure, I mean, like, like you said, the right is like moral and honor based. What was the left? The, one the left based? is fascistic, okay. um, and I'm not saying they're fascists. I'm saying they use the te- they, they adhere to the tenet of there's no truth but power, which is literally what Black Lives Matter and critical race theorists, activists actually. So, I mean, say. so you do. I mean, 
we, this is something we disagree on. You do have a fairly Manichaean worldview. Of there's there's the good people and there's the bad people. I didn't say anybody was good or bad. Okay. Well, I mean, it's honor based and moral based. Sounds like the good people to me. If I if I didn't know what the terms, I were. didn't say I didn't say good morals. I said the right tries to win over people by proving how good good of people they are and no, how respectful they. I can. don't agree with that. I think they make fun of people. Try and try and browbeat people into being their every, every Everybody does that. Everybody. Okay. Does that. I agree what I'm with saying that. is, when you look to like a Ben Shapiro, his 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 method of influence is here's the facts, and I'm being honest with you about the facts. Now here's my argument as to why my worldview is correct and my opinions are right and my policy are the answer. You can agree with that or disagree with that. The left disagrees with that. If you agree with that, then you are more in tune with a lot of the right sphere of influence. The left believes there is no truth but power. They literally will tell you this. They write it in their books. David Graeber pointed it out. They will say, by any means necessary, which is actually the name of an organization that engages in overt acts of violence to gain power. They will come to you and they believe they have a right to lie to you if the, if the end, if, if the means are worth it. So what will happen is, You'll get someone who will come out like Jared Holt, who I've been really ragging on because he wrote this fake story about me. And he'll say, Tim Poole was pushing Kremlin-backed propaganda about U.S. bioweapons and shady labs in Ukraine. Now, it's not true. He knows it's not true because he showed a clip from this show where we said it was not true. So why would he lie? Because this is in line with exactly what David Graeber and many other people have pointed out, that the left operates under the tenet there's no truth but power. It's a, it's, it's fascistic. But it's very much in line with, you know, the blank slate ideology or uh, social constructivism or whatever. They believe that if they just create reality by saying things, then they can ultimately, if, if they can just say lies to formulate a base reality, then ultimately the systems they want will start to exist. The right says, it's, it's sort of like this. In the right sphere of influence, here's what is, and here's my argument about it. And the left is, I will tell you whatever I need to tell you to convince you to, to follow my lead. So I've, I've got a, a different map. Uh, mine is not binary. Um, mine is multiple Venn diagrams and kind of multiple, almost like different species, right? There's different genuses that are coming out. Um, like, I, I don't like binary thinking, and I think applying it to politics is, is too reductive. And I'll give you a, kind of a, a parallel example to go back to religion, right? Like, if we had a worldview of all religion is either Protestant or Catholic, that would be incoherently reductive. Like if you went, well, what are you? I'm a Jew. Oh, okay. Well, if you're a Could Jew. Could you say there's secular, there's, there's atheists and there's theists? That's a way to look at it. Yeah. But like, again, like if, if you're saying. one component of the big picture of religion? Well, I mean, like, like let's, let's bring up Buddhists. I mean, Buddhists are, are, God does not apply either way in Buddhism. You could be, you could be a theist and a Buddhist. You could be an atheist and a Buddhist, right? So like, but, but like, if, if you were to say like, well, you're a Jew, okay, well, in the, in the Catholic versus Protestant world that we live in, you're very Catholic about tradition, but you're very Protestant about papal infallibility. It's like, no, it's a separate thing. It's a different phenomenon. I, I'd argue like, like classical liberals are different than European conservatives of the blood and soil variant, which are different than leftists. But we are talking about the United States and the, 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 the media, the, 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 the Parents' spheres of influence and their underlying disparate. I, I think I think there. there's clearly two major parties. You know, right. there's there's, so clear, we, there's we, truly electoral electoral blocks, but they're basically illusionary. That there's a top-down construct that's being placed on what are actually lots of different tribes of people. I don't know, eight and ten, whatever it is. Right. But th- this is exactly what I'm saying. It sounds to me though that you've got like a fundamental DNA to both. That there's like. One group has like a, a wellspring of might versus might is right and fascism or fascistic thinking, 
and the other one is honor and moral based, and they all kind of spring from that. So they're there's sort of two broad those, species. Those, those are just tendencies of the parent factions, right? Obviously, within the right sphere of influence, you actually have social liberals who will argue systemic racism or things that I've said that clearly people like you know conservatives might argue against. We don't all completely agree on everything, but you take a look at um, you know there's, there's a really there's a really simple way you know to, to break it down. Well, I, I should say there's there's probably not. We try to find different ways to understand what these two spheres of influence are because they clearly exist. You know, clearly Jimmy Dore is called, he's called right wing, even though he's socialist and it's confusing. People call me a conservative, even though I'm like pro progressive tax, pro choice and think systemic racism is bad because left and right signify that you are in line with a certain worldview. And I think it's one easy way maybe to understand it is in the right sphere of influence or whatever you want to call it. There are people who say, prove it. And in the left sphere of influence, there are people who say, tell me what to think. Yeah. I, I, I refuse to be put on a spectrum defined by dead Frenchmen. Mm-hmm. Like the whole left versus right thing. Like I, I think Oh, but I think it, you're looking too much into it. Just because the French Revolution created this concept of left and right doesn't mean that our use of a word to describe a concept is, is not you know, relevant to, to how, we, how we view the world. You were saying the people on the right say, prove it. And the people on the left are like, tell me what to think. But what about religion? I think the people on the right tend to be the ones that are religious. So, oh, like, the where's, the, yeah. Yeah, where's yeah. the proof? And the left is very religious. But where's the but proof? Also, of I don't wait, 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 Where's the proof? Show me the proof. You know, I'm on the right. Ian, Ian, the, uh, as Peter Bogosian argued, the the woke intersectionality critical race theory is a is a, uh, a non theistic. I'm talking about religion. God, Christianity, Judaism. People on the right, conservative people. Where's the okay. proof? They don't need proof for that. They believe it just at hand value too. I, I think I see. This is a. The human mind we is were, tricky. We were actually talking about this earlier because uh, I was playing some Dido music because Seamus and I were mm-hmm. working on this bit. And uh, it auto-played uh, One of Us by, what was her name, Joan Osborne. You know, what if God was one of us? And I remember when I was little, they said there was like a controversy around it. And I asked Seamus if this song was offensive or whatever. I have like, no what? idea. He's well, like, I've never, care. I've never really heard. Well, no, I, I don't know the lyrics. I don't know. But, what. but, uh, you know, the the, what, what came up was me saying us. like, I keep hearing uh, I'll give you. An, I'll give you an example. There's a meme, and it shows a guy at a podium yelling to a bunch of people. How many of you think abo- uh, uh, abortion is should be banned? And they're all like, "Yay!" And the, or it says, "How many of you think adoption is better than abortion?" They all cheer. And then he says, "How many of you are willing to adopt?" And all the people are sad, like, Burr. And I think that's fascinating because when when I actually will you know read articles or read about pro life organizations, turns out they adopt like crazy. Turns out the people who are pro-life actually do adopt and do donate and do try to help kids. So why is it that these uh, these Democrat voters or pro-choice individuals believe that pro-lifers are out there trying to ban abortion without supporting adoption, which is just fundamentally false? It's because, once again, it falls back into the trope of activists who want something when it, when it applies to the left sphere of influence are willing to lie to you to convince you they're moral, morally just or right, whereas the right doesn't do that. Uh, another, uh, there's another thing to point out in this as to why it might be the case. Jack Dorsey said this when I was on with Rogan. He said, conservative journalists follow liberal journalists and conservative journalists. Liberal journalists only follow liberal journalists. It's, quite, it's entirely possible that they're making up their view of conservatives in their own mind. I do think that's true. Like, like, so something that I've noticed the last few years, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna reproach now. Um, I do think that in the American context, generally speaking, if a conservative – actually, I'm going to add this. Conservative, libertarian, and, and liberal, although libertarian and conservative are more similar to each other. If, if a conservative disagrees with you, they think you're crazy. 
if a libertarian disagrees with you, they tend to think you're ill-informed. But it's kind of similar. It's a failure of information, right? If a progressive disagrees with you, they think you're evil. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I've thought about this really hard. I think that it's structural. I don't think that it's innate. Um, like I talked to Jen, Jonathan Roche, who wrote the, uh, the Constitution of Knowledge about this recently. His theory is that human beings are innately tribal. We innately castigate the other as morally defective, whereas our group is uh, nuanced and good, right? So I think what's happening is um, me being from Oklahoma, I'm from the middle. Uh, most of my family's conservative. Most of my friends are conservative. Um, being in the middle, they're consuming content from the coasts all the time. So they know that they really like Tom Hanks or George Clooney or whoever. They know he's a Democrat, but they like him. So they can they can sustain a worldview of... I like this person, but I disagree with them. But I don't think that's happening with progressive media as much because they're not going to church or NASCAR, or whatever the thing is. They're not. They're not. They're not going to Nashville for country music, so they don't have media they're regularly consuming of counterexamples of someone that I disagree with who I like, and so they're able to facilitate these cartoon characters of mustache twirling evil capitalists. Why do they want to get Tucker Carlson, Carlson pulled off the air? Well, we can we can speculate all day and night. I would argue it's because. Tucker Carlson is a conservative who has conservative voices on his show, and he regularly invites the left on to debate, and they do. There's a reason why many of the people on the left who spread lies all day won't come on this show, because we would show that they're lying. I'm from Chicago. I grew up in a city run by Democrats for 80 years. I grew up with leftist Is it working? Chicago? Yeah. Absolutely not. (laughs) Oh, okay. And so what's fascinating is I got called conservative because I said Democrats suck. And I said, oh, yeah, I think Republicans suck, too. But yeah. perhaps it's that growing up in a city that's been run by Democrats for 80 years, you really get mad at this overtly corrupt group that's been lying to you and is just has been BSing you the whole way. But I will say, when I was younger, I voted for I voted for Obama. Mm-hmm. I was very much I went and I would vote and we would vote Democrat across the board. And I was I was totally in line with all of that thinking. And then as I started to move out and travel around the world and actually meet people and start reading what people were saying. I said, hey, wait a minute. When they claimed conservatives were outraged about that, I talked to conservatives, and that's not true. A, a good example is um, I, would, I, I hung out with a bunch of uh, atheists, secularists, and they would make a bunch of arguments about Christianity and what conservatives believed. And then I would be like, huh, yeah. And then I'd go talk to a conservative, and they would be able to, a Christian conservative, and they would be able to give me answers and actually explain their ideas. And I'd go, oh, those people were lying to me about what you thought or at least didn't know. Right. And so what ends up happening is I work for Vice. I work for an ABC company, ABC Univision. And then uh, uh, I actually see how evil these people are. You know, uh, when I worked for Fusion, this is an ABC Univision company, the president told me, side with the audience. And I said, does that mean if there's a factual news story that would be offensive to our audience, we don't report it? And he says, I think that's fair, yeah. Like they, they outright say, look, our audience are young and progressive, so we're going to take their side. Take their side. I'm like... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to report what happened. And that's what, that, that's about what I can do. I'm not going to frame it or side with them. The siding with them means if I go to a rally and I watch a fight breakout between a Trump supporter and Antifa and Antifa started it, I got to side with Antifa and say it's the Trump supporter's fault. No, I won't do that. I'll say, oh, the Antifa guy threw the brick first. Mm-hmm. Trump guy started fighting. And that tends to be what happens. They don't like it. They call me a liar. I've been doing this for some time. I got started with the hacker community, which got me more involved. I, I used to work for nonprofits. I, I, I was very much involved with a lot of hacker community stuff. And um, then it leads me into on the, ground, on the ground at Occupy Wall Street. And then it's really, really simple. I've never been a conservative. I'm still not a conservative. If anything, I'm, I'm a, a, a libertarian centrist leaning mm-hmm. slightly left. And I read the news all day, every day. And at a certain point, it becomes 
fairly obvious. The establishment lies and has lied my entire life to get us into war and for power. They've been exploiting leftist ideals because it's an easy way to get youth to pitch in and give them their power. The media and the left all have embraced lying to gain power. And then I look at, you know, uh, prominent conservative media and they have a tendency to get the story correct. So it's a tent. So that's why I say on the right with all these outlets, I can pull these things up and then run a fact check. Surprise, surprise. This is why they call Matt Taibbi right wing. Right. See, I, I find that I am center whatever you're not. Whenever I'm talking to anybody, all my Democrat friends think I'm center right, by which they mean I'm a conservative because I'm not whatever they are, but I'm palatable. That's what center means. But when I talk to my conservative friends, they think I'm center left. Like, but which I take on my end, I take to think that the system that they're using, that spectral thinking, is too reductive, right? But I find that I'm always the center version of what the person I'm talking to is not. That well, I, it's because you're to the left of someone on the right and to the right of someone on the left. Could be, yeah. One one interesting way to look at it is uh, in a physical sense. Or, or actually, another thing I'll add to that, because I, I do think uh, – I'm, I'm not trying to fight with you, Tim. I'm just trying to understand no, where you come from. Yeah, um, I, I, I have a uh, – I, I have uh, just kind of – I think by virtue of the fact that I'm from Oklahoma and I, I have all these conservative friends and I lived in New York and I have all these liberal friends that – I, I recoil from villain-based thinking, and so I tend to go to systemic thinking, right? Well, what, what about... At, but, 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 but I think it's well, part well, of the reason on. people get mad at me is you're not doing this right well, now. But well, a lot of the time when other people are like, hey, how come you don't hate this other thing? And I'm, I'm like, well, because I don't like hating I'm stuff. I'm confused, though. What about how I described either group would make any of them a villain? They sound rather villainous when you describe That's them. That's your moral values, not mine. Okay. If, if the left says overtly, and they do, there is no truth but power. When they write books saying truth is a social construct, two plus two equals five, I'm not making that up or assigning moral value to whether or not they're doing something right or wrong. You are. If you say that sound villain, it sounds villainous, that's your morals. It, do, it, do you think it's villainous? I think— Because you said they were evil a minute ago. I mean, it sure sounds like you're attributing I, those I, moral values I, to I think that—well, uh, well, when I describe the group— I didn't say, well, you've got good people and evil people. I said, no, the right tries to stand on a, on a moral ground. Like they're standing tall with their chest out saying, I'm going to be honest and, and be respectful of you and prove to you why I'm a good leader. And the left says two plus two equals five. It's right. Get in line. Have, have you heard of a guy named Eric Grossman? Because he, he, I think he'd be interesting to check out. Um, he's not saying what you're saying, but it's sort of uh, adjacent to what you're saying. So the theory he has is that, uh, and Trump is a big exception to this, but basically over the last 50 years that the Republicans uh, both organize and cog, uh, uh, think ideologically or, or think in terms of abstract values, right? Um, hence, um, the fights in Republican primaries tend to be who's the real Republican, who's the real conservative, yeah. who's the rhino, right? right. right? It's an ideological. <laughs> and then when you think about, when you think about like if we were going to break down the Republican Party, it would be ideological, right? It would be, well, here are your neocons, here are your libertarians, here are your social conservatives, here are your yeah, tactics, yeah. et cetera, right? Democrats organize and think coalitionally. So Democrats, when you look at how they organize, they're not really looking at it uh, as progressives versus centrists. They're looking at it like, well, we've got the union. We've got, um, you know, we, we've got Latin Americans. We've got gays. We've got all these. They're thinking in terms of the component structure. Right. I think a lot of crosstalk happens because when progressives look at conservatives, because they think coalitionally, they see conservatives and go, well, all this ideological stuff has to be a smokescreen. You're really just in it for the white guy, which is not true. 
they're, they're ideological. I think a lot of the time conservatives do that when they look at progressives, where they go, because we think ideologically, you guys must be lying to us, and you must truly be, mo- you must be secretly reading Marxist literature and stuff. Whereas, like, I don't think Biden is that ideological. I think that he's he's thinking in terms of unions, he's thinking in terms of all these things. But I don't think he's an ideological. I, 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 I got to be honest, I think you don't know enough about Joe Biden. Like, you weren't aware that he was sharing bank accounts with his son. I think when you when you look at all of the stories over the past you know seven years related to his family and the the illicit dealings he had, to assume that Joe Biden is thinking in terms of the working class is completely out of line with the reported character that is right. Joe Biden. Well, I'm not making a character statement. I'm just saying in terms of how he thinks. Like um, an ideologue is in somebody who's like I, I have a theory. I'm, I'm really philosophical. That kind of thing. I don't think he's super philosophical. I I, th- I think that if he were here, he would say he's pragmatic. Now, we could disagree as whether he's effective or not, but I don't think that he's like reading John Locke or reading uh, Lipinski or something like that. I just don't think his mind operates. I think kind of the same way. I don't think I don't think Trump was an ideologue either. I don't, I don't think Trump I don't, was thinking of that. I don't think Joe Biden, when it comes to how to get elected, has anything to do with unions or Latino voters or anything like that. I think Joe Biden is thinking, what can I do, period, in terms of getting power? You know, I want my son to have these special jobs where we can share a bank account and make money. Get me elected. Figure it out. Joe Biden's the kind of guy who just throws money in, you know, at the consultants and the organizations and says, figure out how to make it work. Hmm. I don't think, you know, uh, uh, you look at Donald Trump and I think he was a guy who was like, how do I get these people on my side? And he didn't do a good job of it. It's one of the reasons in 2018, the, uh, the midterms flipped Democrats because people who voted for Trump in 2016 didn't come out and vote for Republicans because they didn't care. It wasn't Trump. Trump was ineffective at getting those people to stand up for a, a kind of movement. I look at, you know, Pelosi and Schumer and, and, and truth be told, like Lindsey Graham, especially Kevin McCarthy and McConnell, they're all very much cut from the same cloth. They don't actually care about any of these groups. They go to the consultant and say, think, figure out Graham how to get me elected. Proximity to power. I think Lindsey right. Graham, Lindsey Graham wants to be in the we got where the stuff's happening. We got to go to super chats and we went a little long, so we'll go a little long with super chats. My apologies, but been having fun. So, uh, smash that like button if you have not already subscribed to this channel, share the show with your friends and let's just read what people have to say. All right. Not so stealthy Yeti says Fauci caught COVID and had to hide. Is that why he's been gone? Well, Fauci came out uh, and he was just like, it's a new variant. BA2, I think it's called. Oh, boy. All right. Michael Brogan says, Andrew, loved your Churchill video with Whiskey Tribe. Thank you. Informative and funny. Would you ever do something like that again? Uh, so the, for people that are unfamiliar with this, Whiskey Tribe's a really fun YouTube program. They're, they're really into whiskey. Uh, they invited me on because they wanted to see if we could drink and smoke as much as Winston Churchill in a day. <laughs> and I agreed to do that and consumed a pr- tremendous amount of alcohol and about five cigars over the course of the day. My voice is not fully recovered from it yet. It was super fun. I could not lead a world war. I could maybe lead Belgium. Like, I could lead a tiny country <laughs> while doing that. I definitely couldn't lead anything United Kingdom or larger. Uh, I would be interested in doing something like that. I wouldn't do it super often. A couple of people have suggested Hunter S. Thompson. I know I could not handle Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so maybe, but I'm going to take a breather for a minute. Ch- yeah. Churchill could drink a prodigious That's amount. Awesome. So this is actually funny. Um, we have, we had the window open last night in the studio. Oh, boy. And uh, I was recording with Seamus some, some, you know, we were doing some bits. Oh, my gosh. And people watching Chicken City. Could hear it. Could, were like, whoa, it sounds like someone's getting yelled at. Because <laughs> oh uh, what they really heard was me yelling as Dr. Fauci. Uh-huh. So it was it was a brutal like it was like forty minutes I think of me tr- so doing Fauci's long. voice. It was, it I was thought my great. I thought uh, I was gonna hack up blood doing his voice because it's you know he actually did hack up blood. I was like Tim, the show must go on. That's right. You don't get to step away from this right now. And I went, we got a tongue. 
<laughs> all right, all right. Let's read some more. Mikkel Isaacson says, coming soon, Sweden joins NATO. NATO troops come to Sweden just in time when it comes out that Sweden helped. Uh, well, I can't read that. So NATO troops take Sweden. Oh, also China is going to find biolabs in Taiwan when they evade in a couple of days, weeks. I think, is it, are you referring to like justifications or something? Sorry, YouTube blocks actually some of what your super chat was, so I can't read it. All right. The Lore Lodge says, hey, Tim, know you've been doing some more entertainment focused stuff and we would love to be a part of it. Uh, well, I'm not familiar with what you guys do, but uh, we definitely are working on some uh, entertainment based stuff for sure. We're doing uh, the vlog is going to be shenanigans and comedic bits. Nice. So we have uh, some comedic bits. We got Seamus. This guy helped with some of that. Seamus yeah. makes jokes. Yes, that's right. A few every now and again. Daft End says, socialism is the ideology, communism is the pure implementation, or socialism respects some existing private property and communism eliminates private property. Mm. I, I hear what you're saying, but I do think we kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, socialism being an economic system and communism being the ideological system, though. All right, let's grab some more stupid chits. Let's see what we got. Can, Rock. can I move on to Scotch while you're doing that? Yeah, go, yeah, yeah, okay. go for it. Because we're about halfway through, three quarters through. We're, we're mostly done. Well, we so went, I should we start went, drinking right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, went, we went a little long, so we've got, you know, 15 or 20 more minutes. We'll read some more. Oh, great. Chances. Go. I'll get drunk. And we'll, yeah, we'll go have, for I'll, it. I'll, It'll be good. Fun, I'll, I'll be funny this latter half. Okay. All right. There you go. <laughs> Rob Short says, Seamus will grow potatoes for everyone so there is no food shortage. Yes. On this, the day after the Feast of St. Patrick, you make a racist comment towards me, an Irish-American, when I'm just trying trying to express my opinions. <laughs> I was surprised no one did anything on St. Patrick's Day for you, to be honest. Yeah, I thought sad. something was going to happen. I wore green Apparently, pants. Uh, your audience is more respectful than you thought. Yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, like, I thought someone here would get a cake. <gasps> like, that would have been nice. So no, like I, a green I, cake with, no like, a... No one here cares that much about me. I, with oh, a hat on. I wore these. What? Happy St. Patty's Day. There you green, go. Green, 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 green They're not really green. I wore them yesterday and today for you. You know yeah. And I do that, that, appreciate that. I'll be honest. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know it was St. Patty's Greek Day until, uh, until, you know, the day of. And I was like, oh, really? But it would have been fun yeah. to have gotten like a green cake with you know, like a leprechaun on it. And yeah, it would have been fun oh, to, ha- cool. happy, to ha- heckle me for we my can do ethnicity. That any day yes, for house. <laughs> I'm and Irish. I contribute. Hey, 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 I'm Irish too. I am too. Me too. Yeah, me too. Everyone, are you Irish? A little bit. Yeah. Little yeah. bit. There you go. Everyone is a little bit. But I have to wear it because my name is Seamus. You guys have passing <laughs> privilege. You have passing <laughs> privilege. Seamus you can go other places Coughlin. and tell people your name, and they won't know your ethnicity. Isn't Timothy Daniel Irish? It, yeah, but Tim is a name that a lot of people who are not Irish will still use because it's more normal sounding. Like, no one has named their kid Seamus in the United States for 80 years. Mm. It's not one me. person, just yeah. you. Not one. I'm the only one. He's We've checked. One. You can say Seamus and say you're the only one. I could, you honestly. Well, pe- I mean, people do when they read my name off of paper. You know? <laughs> Indeed they do. We're, Jer- we're, we're McGill's on my dad's side of the family, which is a oh Scottish name. Nice. And, I, and I looked into McGill. McGill means son of a stranger. Yeah, I was boy. like, oh so my. So the, the, the McMaster's <laughs> family. Child. We're the McMaster's. Why did we keep that? That sounds oh, so much cooler. That's great. No one's going to try and sack McMaster That's Castle. <laughs> Deliopolis says, Tim, do you ever get the feeling that in about 12 months, you'll be talking about Zelensky the same way you talk about Dr. Fauci now? He is the Andrew Cuomo of 2022. He is indeed. Without spoiling a joke that Seamus wrote. Oh, boy. Yeah. We, so we're working. <laughs> Don't you worry. We are working on a cartoon about an hour. Right. Of course we are. So that one was actually really easy. We recorded that in like five minutes. Yeah. And then the other one took a half an hour. It's funny because the second one we recorded is going to be much less intensive with respect to the animation work, but it took a long time to record. All of yeah. the work was in the audio. Right. It was me doing the voice of Dr. Fauci, 
But, you know, Seamus is directing, so i got to keep doing the line over and over again and getting the nuance and everything uh-huh. right. I'm a diva as a director. But it sounds yeah. – so there's, like, a rough edit. It's hilarious. Sounds perfect, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. But actually, I actually think the other one might end up being funnier. What? Just be – Excuse me? They're both your yeah, bits. Yeah, no, honestly. You that's <laughs> 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 both. After we laughed and laughed while recording it. It's funny. Listen All to right. It. Donovan Davis says, currently reading Plato's the, uh, Plato's the Republic, oh, gosh. and it covers the topics to a T, reference the section uh, Socrates is discussing the hypothetical city and the regimes, rulers of said regimes. Note that he says the rule rulers should be philosophers. Of course they should, and good luck reading the Republic. Gosh. Yeah. Every, wild. Uh, centralized power is bad. That's just That's just about it. You know, every time you get someone who thinks they know how to make everything work, they end up just killing everybody. Yeah. The problem is over, um, extreme of, in any direction is bad because extreme pluralism, you were saying earlier, is to the point where it's like live and let live to the point where communists or some dangerous entity can come in and set up shop and no one stops them because yeah. everyone's so pluralist. Yeah. So you need authority. You just got to find that balance. We're, we're like those, those philosopher kings. Like, like th- this is all government, but in particular people that are prone to philosopher king thinking, go- no government on the planet ever has been able to mandate what you should want in your heart, right? Governments can do, they can do incentives, they can't do intentions. And like the philosopher king people never ever get that, where they're like, well, we're, you have to be nice to these people now. Like, it, it doesn't work that way. Like you have to, uh, everybody in your company has to make X. You're like, fine, I'm going to fire the bottom half of the company. I have to read this next super chat. Oh boy. You ready for this one? It's better not. Rye Lyon says, I think if I were a woman and I just listened to Tim explain the Biden Ukraine corruption, I'd go get a pregnancy test. Oh, whoa, what? <laughs> That's some deep knowledge. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, that was a that, bit intense. That information will start but that was this. a good joke. So, um, And, of course, I'm going to read the compliments for myself. Yeah, of course. Always. All right. And the insults. Sultry Seer yeah, says, <laughs> Tim, do you think the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms extends to explosives such as fireworks? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Fireworks. He's talking about nukes the other day. Mm. Yeah, I know. Can you buy a cannon in America? Yes, you, yeah, can. you can. You can. You yeah. can. You can. Do you have a cannon? No. My you grandfather should get a did. Cannon. Yes. There, so good. It's, look, I've got a Civil War rifled musket over no, there. It's enough. the same principle. Yeah. You know, you're gonna stuff it with powder and then put the ball in, and then it's, it's funny that you know Joe Biden's like, you can't buy a cannon, and it's like you could always buy a cannon. You I can still buy. I a cannon. I think you could crown. I I think your supporters would buy you a cannon. They're not that expensive. If you ask bucks. people to buy, how much is it? A couple hundred bucks for a cannon. Yeah. I, so I could buy a cannon. Yes. I'm going to buy a cannon. Do it. That sounds great. What I'm do you think? Yeah. 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 So loud. You're, you're talking about I'm going to have a long cannon. You have you're lost like, yes. your tactical advantage now that everyone knows. This, no, this is great. Like, because <laughs> I live in Texas, right? But <laughs> yeah. I, I don't own any guns. So when people are like, yeah, like, what kind of gun? You're like, I own a cannon. Yeah. Like, this is only one. That. It's a cannon. <laughs> Bring How it out much? for the 4th of July. Fire. Yes, that's what my grandfather did. Really? Yeah, he did. How much does a kayak cost? Two, three hundred dollars. Now imagine go- going back one. several hundred yes. years and crafting <laughs> one. It, I'd imagine it would actually be substantially more buying power because you know right, inflation, right. Or whatever. Yeah. Like someone would take a long time to build you. And a they vessel probably they handmade those kayaks. Now they're just a plastic mold. Mm-hmm. So same thing with cannons. Yes. So I can just so literally, I'm just going to go buy a cannon when we're done. Like I'm, I'm just, just searching buy cannon right now. Yeah. Brave. Let's see if it. Will yeah, out. it's oh, it's, it's a big cannon. hunk of metal. It's not complicated. I'm going to get okay. So now hold on. You want to get a howitzer? All right, now we're talking about... I want an ornamental cannon. I want a cannon where, like, theoretically, if somebody's invading me, I can irritate them briefly. Yes. That's what I want. I want to be able to, like... Goal of life. I want to to be able to put a hole through a Volvo. That's what I want. Um, (laughs) I'm not... not Steencannons.com, just a place where you can look at cannons if you're interested. I just first one that popped up. You can buy a tank. 
What? You yeah, didn't know you that. These, tank, these cameras Wait, are nice, I can get, Okay, this is my new goal for the political orphanage, yes. is to get my my people to buy me a tank. Yes. Yes. I, thought you were, I thought everyone says you're on the center when you uh, argue with them. So, uh, yeah, but I really love novelty, and <laughs> yes. owning a tank. Like, I don't even care. The tank would be cool. I'll, yeah. Well, we'll paint it pink or something, so Do I'm it. a centrist. That'd be great. <laughs> so uh, I got in trouble because I said that uh, Second Amendment covers nukes and biological weapons. It does. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not an opinion. It's a fact. Now, some people might not like that it does and might argue that we shouldn't allow people to have nukes. Second Amendment absolutely does cover any weapon that anyone could have. And this is easily proven. Halliburton and the private organizations, Lockheed Martin, they're private institutions that have these weapons. They're not the government. Do they control nukes? No, I don't, I don't know about – I don't know who, who – uh, uh, but look, the government doesn't make their yeah, weapons. Yeah. They buy them from contractors. Yeah. So Boeing makes the planes. Boeing owns them and Boeing does the tests on them. They control it. They fly them. That's privately owned weapons. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to buy a nuke. I just – like I see what you're trying to do. I thought you liked novelty. No, I even <laughs> – gonna... pink. I'm going to get the tank. I just, a nuke seems enough. like everyone's going to want to come over and touch the nuke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to get like an alarm system for my nuke. Right. I don't yeah. want to do that. I just no. want to get a tank. Yeah. All right. Let's read this from Art Vandalay. He says, Ian, you need to read Thomas Sowell. In the 1960, black people had 90% of, uh, of white per capita income and 80% two-parent homes. Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ, and the Dems – great society program that put this in reverse and no one talks about how this destroyed families. I've heard a lot of stuff about the great society and know yeah. very little about so it. Thomas Sowell is a national treasure. It, it, is, is, brilliant. it is a shame that he does not have a Nobel Prize in economics. Right? Oh my gosh. Amen. Yeah. Oh yeah. We can all agree on that. Thomas Sowell's amazing. Except for, except for Ian. Yeah, I in can't agree. And I, I gotta tell yeah. his tank is great. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't paint, paint his pink. And you know what? Yeah. I don't think he had a problem with yeah. 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 His tank's see-through. It's colorblind. <laughs> now, it just, it just now, applies to geophysics. You can I buy a cannon. It. You can buy a tank. But thanks to the National Firearms Act, it's very difficult to get a crew-served 50 BMG. Gosh, or maybe, maybe, it. maybe you wouldn't do 50. I think people were saying there's another caliber for crew-served machine guns. Crew-served. Crew-served machine. What's a crew-served machine gun? It's like uh, when you have that big mounted gun, and then one guy's holding the belt and feeding oh, it, right. and the other guy's <laughs> butterfly trigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. What Nancy Pelosi wanted on January sixth? That's right. Yeah, she tr- she asked for it, and they were like, "Are you nuts? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you wanted machine guns? Mm-hmm. She, well, she wanted crew. I think she said belt fed, but everyone was like crew served. I had wow, okay. That's yeah, wild, Pelosi. Right? I, I think she requested she requested she it specifically. Yeah, and they told her like, "You're crazy. We're not doing that." Yes. Like that, you're gonna. We're gonna do Old riddle moon. the walls of the buildings in D.C. when guys are like. I typed in best crew served BMG. It came up with the Sig Sauer's MG thirty three thirty eight. Have you ever heard of that thing? Heavy machine I, gun. I think someone sent that to me actually. Yeah. It says it bridges the gap between the crew served M two Browning heavy machine Ooh. and the M two forty. Well, you know, look, sometimes I, I can't wait for my homeowners association to have to talk to me about <laughs> the cannon gosh. I put in my front yard. Yeah, like, and they look. Damn awesome. it, Gerald! I, it has nothing to do with a fence. It has nothing to do with a pool. You don't have any jurisdiction here. I'm keeping this the cannon in my yard. In I pay bylaws. my dues. That's I right. Pay my dues. Yeah. Show me I can't own a cannon. That's right. <laughs> you can. You yeah, one can. of the stories I was reading about that I love to t- tell is when the guy was in his tank firing a full auto 50 uh, caliber into his own like lake and the cops showed up and then he stopped and he's like he's like what can i do for you and the cops were like is this your tank and he's like yes it is and they're like this is your land yes it is and they went have a nice day and they just drove off you know what you have to do you just have to get a bunch of cannons by every single window and then have them half poking out like a pirate ship <laughs> yes. no one's gonna rob you yeah. and, and, and let's see if that hoi tries to come after That's you let's right. see if that hoa yeah. is gonna come oh pick a my fight gosh, my yes. my blazer collection will be safe <laughs> yes i love it 
All right, let's read some more. Blankout says, member here with an idea request. Please read. You know the Biden Burisma better than most. Create a high quality docuseries walking through the evidence with visual aids. Clear citation, video news clips. I will increase my monthly member fee for it. That's a good idea. Let's do a cartoon. Let's do an educational cartoon on oh, it. Oh, but that would be like 20 minutes. But honestly, you'd be surprised. We can talk about it later, but I've been working with the Foundation for Economic Education for like five years to compress these really complex ideas into short cartoons. So we might not be able to get all of it in there, but I think we could get a really good comprehensive thing done. I, I kind of feel like there's people uh, – well – I have a good grasp of, ver- of a, like an overhead view of a lot of these issues, mm-hmm. you know, and then I, I read, I read Matt Taibbi's reporting on this and he got into the nitty gritty and he, he, he pulled up some facts which were absolutely astounding. Notably that Victor Shokin, the prosecutor was in, inve- was investigating Michael Ozlachevsky, which the media denied over and over again. And then he came out and said a cursory review of Ukrainian court documents show, I think it was like, or legal documents, that there were like 12 different active investigations and, and like several that had been suspended, but were still active, like they, that, that had been on hold, but were still active uh, when Biden came in and, and did this. So we have to pull up a lot of that old research and stuff and make sure we get all the facts right, but we could do it. That'd be awesome. Cool. Yeah. That would be a good 20 minutes. That'd be really entertaining. Be if it was well animated, I would sit there and watch it. I would for totally watch it. That was just great I, we, listening it, it, to you earlier. We couldn't, I mean, if we were going to do pure, the, we could do multiple versions too. Uh, like if it was 20 minutes, it would have to be some infographics type thing, and even that's a stretch. But I'm telling you, you can compress some really complex things into short videos if you know how to do the visuals right. Yeah. All right. Austin Wat- Walters says simplest way to show the truth divide go to CNN or MSNBC and look for external links. There will be none. Then go to Newsmax, Fox, or Daily Wire, and you can see the citations. Same with Flat Earth Crowder. Yeah, they cite everything. Yep. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. That's why uh, we use NewsGuard. You ever hear of them? No. They're they're very biased, but they give ratings to various news outlets. It's a good idea. Well, I like using it because when people are like, you know, Tim Pool pushed this story or whatever, I'm like, take it up with NewsGuard. Like, it's their certification, not mine. So I wonder how they feel about it. They get accused of bias all the time, though, from the left and the right. So I'm imagining it's not an easy business to be in, trying to be like, no. this site is good, this site is bad. But look, they give the Daily Wire uh, a green rating. Uh, they give Fox News. When when they gave, when NewsGuard gave Fox News a, a green certification, the left lost their minds. Mm-hmm. They're like, Fox News is lying and fake news. And the NewsGuard people were like, no, they're not. Like, yeah. Fox News legitimately reports the news. You, you just disa- don't like you their disagree opinions. With their, I, mean, I used to work at Fox Business. Yeah. And I've mm-hmm. said there's, there's, there's a difference between... Fox News and Fox Opinion. And you yeah. can take yeah. your, your difference with Fox Opinion, but that is opinion, right? The actual people that are writing the stories, and we were rigorously fact-checking things as well. If I put something in a script, I had to be very careful about the facts going into it. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Vosh says, Mac is Gaelic for son of. Yeah. So it's neither Here's Scottish or Irish in origin. Same with MC. It's just shortened. So yeah. M's, but MC yeah. is generally the Irish spelling, and MAC is generally the Scottish son spelling. Of. But yeah, like he so was we're not saying, bastards? he was son of. Yeah, no. But no, it is son of. No, oh, I we're mean, still bastards. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't speak for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we for sure are. Yeah, you're like, oh, no, I can Ma- tell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Matthew Heddinghaus says, this has been the best conversation and debate I've heard in years. Yeah, I mean, literally awesome. just awesome from everyone on the show tonight. Solid 20. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Yeah, I think it was actually a, a blast. Really That's why good. I went a little long because we're having a good no, time. No, it was great. And can I, like, can Except I say, for what Ian said about religion. But everything else is solid. not tonight. It's also, Tim, it's, it's really refreshing to be able to have a conversation like this with somebody. Right. Where, oh, we, yeah. where we can come in like, That's I good. still like you. I'm having a good time. <laughs> this is and, really, and to be able to, to be able we're, to But you're close. You're close. It was enjoyable because it was one of those nights where I'm like, I'm not saying much. Seamus isn't saying much, but you guys were in it and it was yeah, really good. I'm going to rewatch well, it. I think too. it was For mostly sure. me. 
going off. And just, yeah, but the, the Tim, Ukraine you, stuff yeah, is you guys key. You screamed at him. You smacked it. Yeah, yeah you remember? Yeah, and also talking about, about a bottle at him at one yeah, point. Did you guys cut that out? Yeah. Talking about no, no. how looking at things from two polarities and looking at things like, I think you said, what, what was the, the different circles that are all connecting to each other? Yeah, what do you yeah, call the, those? The Venn diagram. Yeah, Venn diagrams of, I have a Jackson Pollock. Ian, you just believe in that for no reason. I'm a big Venn diagram guy. Well, uh, but anyway, the, it was fun and thank you. I enjoyed yeah. that. There are interesting visualizations about like how YouTube groups the, um, the left and the right. The funny thing is there was this researcher who did an assessment of YouTube channels left and right. And there were a small handful of channels that were separate from all. There was left, center and right and then exclusively critical of left. Huh. And it was funny because I was like, why do you think that? You know, how do you come up with that category? And it's like, well, you're only criticizing this one group. And I'm like... It's it's just weird that that idea is born like that worldview is born out of how I describe this. If if you can't understand that there are people who are on the left that are critical of critical race theory and you know uh, that kind of stuff, right. you're confused by what you're watching and it doesn't fit your worldview. So yeah. you have to give it its own isolated. I was like, is it simple enough to just say we are centrists? We are people who have left-wing political views and are critical of people that are supposedly on the left. So that's not an exclusively critical of left thing because we also espouse left-wing views. Yeah. I, I want to make a point here because this is really, really important. It's a massive part of the puzzle. There are people who exclusively criticize the left, but that is a very different thing to do from a left-wing perspective versus a right-wing perspective. So Jimmy Dore criticizes the left from a left-wing perspective and says they're not really standing for the values that they claim to be standing for. They're hypocritical. I criticize the left from a right-wing perspective. It is totally different. We're, but we're criticizing the same group, but for different reasons. So to lump us in the exact same category and say we're ideological allies is ridiculous. The weirdest thing to me was Even that, though I would agree with him on some things. You know, Jimmy Dore is... I, I think Jimmy's a socialist. You know, I always say I think because I don't want to put words in yeah. his mouth, but I'm pretty sure he's, like, pretty left. Mm. And it's weird to me that... I'm not left enough for the left to be forced. You know, when they when they talk about Jimmy Dore, they call him on the left and put an asterisk next to his name because they're like, but he's a you know a shill for Russia or whatever they're saying about him. And for me, I'm like, I, I made a video supporting the Green New Deal. What is that bug? I don't know. He doesn't have a stinger on him or a, a proboscis, so I don't proboscis. think he's going to suck your blood. Yeah, there's a weird giant proboscis. bug. It looks yeah. like a mosquito. Proboscis. That's from Texas. I'm sorry, I brought that with me. Oh, no proboscis down there. Yeah. Tis the All right, let's see. Well, I also want to mention and this bad too. bug. Sorry about that. Oh my gosh, Andrew. <laughs> there's one. There's one more thing I want to mention with respect to this. Often, people saying that they aren't a member of a particular group can, at least in some circumstances, indicate that that group's values. It can indicate that no one believes in it anymore. It can also indicate that indicate that that group's values have become so ubiquitous that people hold their values without acknowledging it. So oftentimes people will say things like, you know, I don't uh, believe in feminism, but I believe X, Y, and Z, referring to more like classically feminist values. And what they're essentially saying is I give assent to all the things forwarded by feminists 100 years ago. I don't like this current version, but in some sense, they're still promoting feminist assumptions. I think the and issue it's the is... the same with left-wing assumptions. When people criticize the left from the left, they're still promoting left-wing assumptions. So it's not the same thing as being on the right at all. <sighs> left and right don't actually describe politics. They describe tribes. Mm. So when someone says Tim Pool's clearly not on the left, it's because they're referring to tribe, not politics. Policy. Yeah. When people say Jimmy Dore is, you know, a leftist, but he's, he's a he's a right winger, and they're confused by it, it's because his politics are too similar to theirs. But he doesn't like, yeah. this, you know, he doesn't like them. I, th I think Luther. you're right about that. We're living in a really, really tribal time. It's a very tribal it's time by design. By design, uh, like I, I yeah. think that the political parties and the people in power um, know that it's a lot harder to win elections based on actually 
coming up with solutions to problems. It's a lot easier mm-hmm. to get people to vote out of fear and hate. And so they're doing that. And um, we, we live in a weird period where people don't really care about what you think. They care about the, the word choice you use to describe what you think. Did you yeah. say patriot or social justice? That's all right. I care about. Dude, yeah. I saw well, the Jesse Smollett sentencing, and the judge was like, the word that starts with an N... And then he went on, and I'm like, you can't even, in a court of law, you can't even say that word out loud? Like, this is what the world is coming to? That's a great example of secular versus non-secular thinking, right? Like, like so I, I'm going to make the case that, like, um, uber progressives tend to be, like, religious, right? Yeah, Indeed. I think you were yes, talking about this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so like, um, like, and I'm saying this as the friendly, low-wattage agnostic <laughs> here right. in the group. I'm saying this as the secular person at the table. I think that there's a tremendous amount of people in the United States that would have been what we call religious 100 years ago, and they've taken that religiosity and applied it to politics. And a good example of that is, do you believe in the concept of magic words? So like a magic word would be, I would say, to your point, Ian, um, there are certain words you can say in a court of law, and it has no moral opprobrium associated with it, or, uh, yeah, opprobrium. Or if you're in your basement and you say it by yourself, but there are other people who are like, no, it is a cosmic affront to yep. moral, to morality to ever utter a certain word in the same way that you can't say like Jehovah because that like, like, right? So that's right, that division yeah. between secular thinking and, and there are, and there are people who completely disagree with that worldview who know the people of institutional power and believe in that worldview will destroy you. Look at Joe Rogan. Yeah. Yeah, they came after him. I, I, you know, I think you're right. Joe Rogan, like, what did he get? He initially got in trouble because he was bringing on different voices regarding vaccines and whatnot, which, by the way, is how you challenge ossified orthodoxy. Like, when, when, you, when you've got a, a, an opinion that becomes not only ubiquitous but unquestioned, that's when you make really bad decisions. You need to have people asking questions that challenge orthodoxy, and a lot of the time they're cranks, and a lot of the time they're, per, they're, they're from the periphery until they're right. Because, like, the, the heliocentric worldview was crank until it was challenged, right? He got in trouble for that, and it didn't stick. And then what did they do? They went and found examples of him saying the N-word that I, were taken out of context. And, and then, went, well, he's racist. You have to cancel him now, right? And then he, he caved. You know? We had Papa John on the show. And they really it's, – it's all lies. Do you know Papa John's story? Mm-mm. Papa John was on a private phone call. He was uh, having a – it was like a business meeting. It's been years since I talked about it. But he was complaining about how Colonel Sanders used the N-word and no one seemed to care. But he actually said the full word. It was so, so he was castigating somebody for using the yep. N-word. He and they destroyed it. They it. destroyed his life. Really? They kicked him out of the company. They took his name off of schools. They, 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 news stories were published saying he used the N-word. The, the news stories about Joe Rogan were that he used the N-word. No, no, no. He said it descriptively right. in, in criticizing the use yeah. of it. Context and intention matter. But this is why I say, you know, look, at a certain point after, you know, 10 years of living through this, you got to recognize there is, when whatever factions they are, one is lying all the time. The right falls for it sometimes, truth be told, but I, I can, look, if you go through, name a, name, a, name a story from Black Lives Matter with one of their riots that turned out to be the way they described it. Anything? I don't know. I'm drinking now. I mean, look, the, the latest <laughs> fair, example being Ahmed Arbery. You said, oh, that guy who was the jogger. That, he was not jogging. Objectively not jogging. And uh, uh, even the prosecutor in the case against the guys said he was a felony burglary suspect who was being pursued. The question is, did they have a right to pursue him or not? The jury decided they didn't. That's why they were convicted. Now, they also got the hate crime charges. But get this. The guy who filmed it got convicted. Yep. All he did was saw Arbery running and started filming what was happening. And they said he was in on it. So he goes to prison, too. 
for the rest of his life. What? He was in a car following behind. And they, because he was following behind, they made it seem like he was pinning the guy in. Hmm. When he was just – so here's – I'll give you the – So oh. like, like the primary evidence they have in this was provided by that guy? Yes, and now he's going to prison. Yep. Wow. For the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they lied. When, when you're locking up the guy who presented the evidence, it sounds to me more like they, they, they're saying you embarrassed us. So you guys can all go, you know, go rot for all we care. Jeez. But what's the official narrative? That a guy was jogging 20 miles from his house in work boots and that some racists pinned him and then killed him? The real story is a neighborhood plagued by burglaries. The police went around and said, here's a picture of the guy. Security camera footage showed him committing felony burglary because people need to understand. I don't know if it was felony burglary, but uh, people need to understand that burglary is not breaking into someone's house and robbing them. It's breaking into someone's house. We're, we're learning this the hard way right now. So when they had evidence of him entering a home, it's not trespassing. The police then say, here's the guy. A gun was stolen. A couple of weeks later, they see him. These guys should not have chased after him, in my opinion. But they decided to. They, they, uh, um, they cut him off. They went past him on a different street and stopped. One of the guys got out. He had a shotgun, probably because well, I could be speculating, but this guy, they believed, may have stolen a gun. Maybe, perhaps it's wrong to make that assumption, but someone did steal a gun, and this guy was the suspect. So you're not, it's not illegal to stand in a street with a gun. Ahmed Arbery then ran around the right side of the truck, and then as soon as he got to the front of the truck, jumped left and attacked one of the McMichaels, the younger one who had the gun, fighting for the shotgun trying to take it. That's called dual possession. The shotgun went off, shooting him in the chest and killing him. The guy who filmed it is going to prison. These two guys were, the media said they lynched a guy who was jogging. Hmm. The real story is much more nuanced than this. And the reality is a couple of guys who were probably dumb to do what they did were trying to stop what they thought was a burglary. And perhaps they were racist in their assumptions about him. But either way, if the cops go to your house and say, this is the guy, someone's running around in work boots, having been seen on security camera after a gun was stolen. I wouldn't be surprised if someone in the neighborhood freaked out about it. It's tragic, man. But what needs to be brought up is Ahmed Arbery attacked them. You could argue that he was justified. If you surround, if there's a guy behind me in a car and two guys pull up and gets out, gets out with a shotgun, uh, maybe maybe I'd attack him too, right? My interpretation. My, of my point is, is just real quick, is that the media oh, yeah. lied. Media lied. If everybody in that neighborhood had had a lawn cannon, which is what I'm planning to get when we conclude this show, right. I don't think that would have happened. You can't get close just to one it. lawn, just a single lawn cannon. I thought you well, were going to put them in the windows, didn't we? I mean, like, but in in, in all seriousness, what I what I could afford my own home instead of a duplex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll start putting little cannons. cannons. Hey, hold hold on, you got those cannons sticking out of your window. You're going to. But, get in, the but in all seriousness, whoever was burglarizing in the neighborhood, be it Arbery or otherwise, stole one of their guns. So it's like even when these people had set up security cameras and were armed, it was months of this going on, and it's much more complicated than that. So you can argue these guys were in the wrong and it shouldn't have happened. And I'm sad. Personally, I'm sad that anybody died. But that's not, that's not what the media said. And to this day, the left will tell you a guy who was innocently jogging was lynched. Mm-hmm. That has been every single story. Remember, hands up, don't shoot. That was mm-hmm. a lie. Michael Brown did not have his hands up. The coroner's, I think it was Obama's Justice Department found that he was actually had his hands down and he was lunging towards the cop, uh, Darren Wilson. But they've, they've lied and they've right and they've burned. I mean, look at the George Floyd story. Everything they said about that, man, boy, did it turn out to be false. Should anybody die in these situations? No. Are cops responsible? In many of these cases, yes. But they just keep lying to us and they justify violence and destruction. I'm going to keep ranting about this because I do so often. So, you know, we'll wrap it up there. We've gone a bit long. I don't know if you guys have anything you want to say before we, we bounce out. Um, I mentioned before that the Catholic Church had killed Galileo. In fact, no, not, they just put yeah. him in prison yeah. uh, for House saying that the sun was the center yeah. of the universe. So speak, he was it was fake news at the time, and they can't try to cancel him. He did die in prison, but the church mm-hmm. didn't actually kill him. 
I uh, wanted, wanted to clarify that. Also, the Brave search engine, which I've been experimenting with. I've been in touch with business ops over at Brave, and there are ways you can go to search.brave.com slash settings and fix your uh, Brave search engine from there with your Brave browser. All right, everybody. Head over to TimCast.com. Become a member. Thanks for hanging out this Friday night. You can follow the show at TimCastIRL. You can follow me at TimCast. You want to shout anything out, Andrew? Sure. Um, again, I had a fun time. This yeah, was great. this was great. Yeah. Tim, anytime. How was the scotch? It was good. It was uh, very good Which and very one did strong. You I'm pretty sure I got the cask strength one because my head is swimming. <laughs> did you take the Usquabaca or whatever it's called? Yes, the, the one of the blue like yeah. ceramic jug. Yeah. Yes, that's Scottish the one I took, and it, it is hitting me hard. Um, <laughs> Tim, anytime somebody can make me think, I viewed that as a really good mm. conversation, and you made oh, me yeah. think tonight, and I'm going to have to, like, uh, kind of uh, mull with some of the stuff you said, but I very much enjoyed it. I appreciate you letting me come on. Absolutely. Uh, anybody that, that enjoyed me, go check out the political orphanage. It's uh, good. Uh, thank you very much, Lydia. That's and awesome. I'll say, like, uh, at least going back to like the foreign policy stuff, I'd recommend the last episode I did. It's called uh, How to Prevent or Provoke Stupid Wars. And I yes. what, what I basically do is just get into underlying IR theory about realism, liberalism, Marxism, social constructivism, and try and get past kind of that surface-level partisan noise, get into the fundamentals of what's happening. And uh, welcome people to come check that out. What's right your Twitter? On. You have Twitter, too, right? At Mighty Heaton. Mm. Love it. Come hang out. I mostly just do horse jokes on Twitter. I don't, I don't, I don't really get into political <laughs> fights on Twitter. That's just funny stuff on Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. Go check out my YouTube channel right now. Freedom Tunes. Go look at oh it. One of those we disagree very much, and, and even Ian. With whom I disagree on a number of things, endorse the latest video. Seamus, Seamus, you got to give me more oh, roles than just Fauci, man. Come on. I mean, look, Tim. I got. I know you. Here. I know you have to keep <laughs> the lights here on. But if Fauci's not in the news, I'm not going to violate the artistic integrity of my work. I was. I was. I was thinking about that though. I was like, you know, now that Fauci's out of the news cycle, I was like, what am I going to? I'm not going to be on Freedom Tunes anymore. You're not going to make any. Oh, I swear, your Bill Gates. <laughs> your Bill Gates is, is next level. Roll I'm with just, it. I'm Lean just, into it. But I'm just ripping off Family Guy's impression of Bill Gates. Even better. It's better. Uh, oh, and I'm Ian Crossland. IanCrossland.net. Hit me up there. I think that's everything for tonight. See graphene. you guys next week. Graphene. Yeah. And follow Graphene Buy to the moon. Graphene stock. We'll be yes. riding uh, space elevators tethered <laughs> with graphene amalgams. I just wanted to say during this conversation about crew serve machine guns, children are perfect for training to serve machine machine gun functions. So if you want to have a family, that's a great reason to do so. Or send your orphans to me. I'll take them. I've, Perfect. I've got all those that's cannons great. I'm planning I love it. That's yeah. a great plan, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you guys you. may follow me on Twitter and minds.com at Sarah Patchlitz. All right, everybody. I just want to point out, uh, I didn't kill that bug. Some people were saying Darn Tim it. killed the bug. I tried to. I, I missed. It survived. Heroically. And I just want to make sure you all know that. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you all next time. Bye, guys. Wait, wait, wait. What? Wait. Go to YouTube.com, uh, uh, search for Chicken City, subscribe to Chicken City, and watch Chicken City live. Okay. It is chickens being chickens, and chickens are funny, In and we'll city. see you all next time. Bye, guys.